And I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to films, and uh, in this way we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is the month of September, which means it is Masterclass Month. Uh, Essentially what this means is uh, Kyle and I will be taking a deep dive into a long-lived film franchise. Uh, In this case, uh, we've been spending the past few weeks, and indeed this entire month, uh, taking a look at the live-action Batman film franchise. Um, So in the past two weeks, uh, beginning with the Tim Burton era, uh, we moved on to the Joel Schumacher era, uh, which of course brings us to the Christopher Nolan era of the film franchise this week. Um, So right out the gate, Kyle, um, how, how do you feel about this this particular chapter in the Batch Saga? Well, this is probably going to be a controversial com- opinion. Um, I don't think the Bruce Nolan... Uh, the Bruce Nolan... Uh, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Christopher Nolan. Bruce Nolan. Who's Bruce Nolan? Bruce Wayne? Bruce Nolan? Something Bruce Nolan, like that, maybe? Yeah. The Christopher Nolan Batman movies hold up that well. Um, I just recently rewatched The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises. Um, I, I could get through, I'd say, 80% of The Dark Knight. Um, the ending, I just couldn't could not care less about. I couldn't even pay attention to uh, The Dark Knight Rises after the plane crash. Like, once the plane crash is done, I'm like, the movie's just downhill from there. It, I could not care less about what's happening in that movie. So, folks at home, if you're not aware, um, the plane crash he's talking about happens roughly within the first mm, eight minutes of the movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. In a three-hour movie. <laughs> yeah, in a two-hour two and 45-minute film. Uh, so, yeah, that is a very unique take on things. Um, as I've been dreading recording this episode for the past three weeks because um, the Christopher Nolan Batman films are intensely beloved by, mm-hmm. especially of people of a certain age group. Um yeah, these movies were gigantic when they came out, and I believe they have a, a really strong legacy. Like, like they're still re- like held in very high regard, um, and rightfully so, if you ask me. I I happen to still ver- like them quite a bit, um, although my opinions have drastically shifted over the years. Um, a lot has happened in the world of not only Batman but in superhero cinema and action cinema in general, um, and I don't know if it's just like rose-tinted goggles or something but like we we passed like a a nostalgia threshold or something where now i can maybe look at them more honestly and and see them see them for what they are rather than what i wanted them to be when they first came out um so right out the gate i'll just say that i i think i like batman begins the most of the Mm -hmm. three yes um that didn't always used to be the case Um, when the when the dark knight came out uh i was all about it as as was everybody as were the rest of us (laughs) it was it was gigantic it was a game changer um and the dark knight rises has always kind of been like mm, a little bit of the odd man out like it's it's probably the least of the franchise and yet i think it's easier for me to go back to than the dark knight if i'm being totally honest well i actually saw i've seen all three i saw all three of these in the theater they're these movies were not like unlike any other comic book movie at the time. Like these were completely different. Christopher Nolan's a very unique filmmaker, and he you can definitely see his style all over this. Like, um, I don't think he's a bad filmmaker at all. I actually really really like his movies. Uh, I think my favorite of his is actually The Prestige, um, one of the most fun movies I've ever seen. Um, 
But yeah, these were completely unlike anything else. And I actually remember The Dark Knight came out while I was in boot camp. I when I got out for like just the weekend before I left to to go to A school, we went and watched it. Like we all went to the theater and watched it, and we're like, "This is the greatest thing that's ever happened." I was 19 at the time, so that's that's something to keep in mind as well. This, I mean, what the first one came out in 2005. Mm. I was I was like 16, so these movies all came out when I was really young. And I didn't, I guess I didn't have quite the refined palette that I, ha- that I have now. Uh, so yeah, going back and rewatching them, I'm like, man, this, they just don't hold up as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, and as we've been doing uh, in episodes previous, uh, one of the first things we like to talk about is our personal history with each of these films. Um, so um, in Batman Begins case, I, you said you saw all of these in the theater. I did as well, but... Um, do you have a story of how it how it came to you? Like, were you aware of like the marketing for it, or were you so, hyped for it? I, I want to go ahead. I have a few things I want to say right here at the top. I am <laughs> not bashing anybody's performance. Specifically, I'm not bashing any of the villains' performances. I think uh, Liam Neeson is awesome as Ra's al Ghul. I obviously think that Heath Ledger was great as the Joker, and I like I like um, what's his face as Bane, uh, Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Um, I wish they would have kept his original voice, like the what they originally had wanted to be, the deeper, kind of hard-to-hear one. Um, but what uh, the marketing for this, I think Batman Begins, it didn't matter what the marketing was. I'm like, this is a new live-action Batman movie. We're going to go see it. There's just no getting around it. The Dark Knight probably has one of the greatest trailers of all time as far as like getting me interested because... The way they had the Joker, I don't know. There was something that was just chilling about uh, about Heath Ledger's Joker in those trailers. I, re- I remember the trailers vividly, and I'm like, this is gonna be the greatest movie of all time, basically. No, I was I was of the same mind, um, and I think it's quite fitting that you know pretty much everything Heath Ledger said in that film is very quotable um and you know teenage boys especially you know were just running around spouting quotes from a movie they hadn't even seen yet such is the power of marketing um and here we go Mm -hmm. um the the timing of of that trailer uh i it was a game changer Mm -hmm. i mean everything followed suit like to this day we we still have critics uh joking about how there's like only one way to cut a, a blockbuster trailer for every like era of film like right now we're in that era where okay we need to take a pop song and do a melancholy rendition mm-hmm. of it like even the fucking dune trailer that just dropped the other day same deal and the batman trailer matt reeves is batman due out sometime next year same deal we're in we're in that current marketing trend whereas when the dark knight came out I don't think we had a whole lot of trailers cut that way, timed that way. That was the big thing, was the timing of it. There was a lot of instances where the sound would drop out. You'd have, like, a quote, or you'd have the truck flip, and then, like, everybody followed suit because it was just so amazingly effective. And, yeah, the the hype level when The Dark Knight was on its way out was unimaginable. Like, like if you weren't there for it, you can't comprehend. But Mm-mm. conversely, though, Batman Begins... I, it may have been the least promoted Batman film I can recall. It kind of just came, yeah, it just kind of came to theaters. It just showed up one day. (laughs) I mean, I remember the trailers. They, they had some stuff with the Tumblr because it's the fucking Batmobile. It's, it's very easy to market that. And then there was that shot of him uh, hanging from the monorail and like crashing into some stuff on the narrows. Um, But for the most part, 
I don't remember a whole lot of television commercials. I don't remember any print ads for the most part. Uh, it just kind of appeared one day, and then it got good word of mouth, and that was the only reason I ended up seeing it. In fact, this was another case of me going to see it, um, much like with my personal case with Batman Robin. I went to see Batman Begins um, quite a while after it was already in theaters mm. because my friends went to see it, and I, I asked them, like, is it any good? Because I honestly couldn't tell. And they were like, yeah, it's great. Go see it. <laughs> and so if not for, you know, my friends, like, vouching for it, I probably wouldn't have even seen it in the theater. And I'm, I'm glad I did because it was a lot of fun. Well, that came out in 2005. The, like, I didn't have a computer then. The internet wasn't the presence that it is now, like, not even close. Um, and I, this was also the time when I was playing guitar mostly so movies weren't like my free time was mostly doing that and playing with my band so movies were kind of in the rear view uh, rear view uh mirror i'm like eh, i'll make i might get to it but this the first batman begins was definitely one i saw in the theater and well, yeah i mean to for anyone who isn't aware um in 2005 i wasn't aware of the existence of youtube um, I remember distinctly the first time I saw YouTube, and it wasn't. It was not where movie trailers were posted. It was no. where just random bullshit was posted. Yes. The first thing I looked up, Kyle, on YouTube, the very first thing I looked up, Rocco's Modern Life, Wacky oh, nice. Deli, nice. <laughs> because I just wanted. It was this unheard of thing that I was like, so you mean if I type something in, I'll find something? And they're like. Yeah, I've been testing it, and it seems like almost everything's there. So I was like, we'll see about that. And sure enough, there it was. <laughs> There's a pretty funny bit on Broad City where uh, I think the, the episode took place in like 2012, maybe 2011. And the lady asked, what What are you into? And she's just like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I like... Uh, like old school viral stuff, like salad fingers. And she starts naming off all the stuff. Do you remember salad fingers? No, See, I don't. That's crazy. <laughs> so she started naming like all these like when uh, the silly videos on YouTube were like just new, and that that was one of them. She rattled off all the what, what in the butt. <laughs> yeah, what, what in the butt? Um, uh, there was there was a few others that she named off. I'm like those are so so obscure. Uh, it was really funny that she popped them off, but yeah, I can't remember the first thing I watched chocolate on uh, rain, YouTube. All that business. Yes, yeah, chocolate. Yeah, Cookie. <laughs> I watched Cookie Monster sing Chocolate Rain about thirty times. <laughs> of course <laughs> he did. Quote yeah. from the Office. Uh, no, well, uh, only point yeah. I'm trying to make yeah. is that when this came out, um, I I would not gain access to YouTube or become aware of it until I ended up in college, like a few months later. Uh, so this was pre-internet marketing powerhouse. Um, this was all just like TV commercials and print ads and stuff. So um, traditionally, the Batman movies are some of the most uh, obscenely marketed films out there. Like the marketing hype train is incredible for each of these films. So this one, uh, maybe because we have a slightly unproven auteur director in like at the helm in the form of Christopher Nolan, who hadn't done movies of this nature just yet. And uh, Batman and Robin uh, being the critical failure. I'm pretty sure it was a financial... It was fine. Yeah, financially um, maybe fine. Not on the same level as Batman Forever, but it probably did fine. But those two, you know, active conditions, it's like, hmm, maybe we'll, we won't push this one as hard. Maybe we'll just let people find it. And sure enough, they did. Um, um, and by the time you get to The Dark Knight, Warner Brothers was very happy with how things turned out. Um but yeah, Kyle, uh, should we start with like a 
a basic plot summary for Batman Begins. I mean, yeah. the title kind of gives it away, but <laughs> it's kind of. I think that the the plot is kind of all encompassing. You just have to add a new villain in. Um, Bruce Wayne, Batman. Uh, we go through his journey in Batman Begins of becoming Batman, his training with the uh, League of Shadows, and his ultimate goal throughout the three films is to make Gotham a better place, however he needs to do that. Um, he is going against Ra's al Ghul in the first one. Uh, he's trying to trying to stop a madman, a madman in the second one. And then he's trying to... Uh, He's trying to stop a domestic terrorist in the third one. So it's just it's it's a classic uh superhero scenario where good guys just trying to stop the bad guy at the end of the day in each film. Well, I'll I'll pump the brakes a little bit and and put the lens specifically on Batman Begins and say that um part of the reason I I have quite a bit of respect for this film is a uh, one it's like a it's a foundational pillar for the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. Um there they very wisely kind of built everything around everything that was laid down in the first film. Like the score I was telling you about before we started recording, like there's so many recurring themes um, that feel new and fresh by the time you get to the sequels. Um, But your brain is only tricking you in, in the sense that they were there in the first film. You just didn't notice them as much because they were downplayed, but those melodies were, they were laid down in that first film. So they, really put forth their best effort first if you ask me but um yeah the the one thing that's really amazing about this movie is like the title says it's batman begins mm. it's the only time the first and only time maybe the batman will go into this uh, it has yet to be seen obviously but um it's the first and only time we've ever seen uh bruce wayne's entire journey to the cape and cowl um, from childhood to batmaning it's the most Nolan-esque film, too, in the way it's edited, because we do quite a bit of jumping around. Uh, you can tell when we're jumping because Batman has hair. <laughs> he has, like, his floppy hair, and then when he's in his present day, he's got it combed back more. It reminded me a little bit more of The Prestige, where we're, we're bouncing back a little bit. The, the, the latter two, it doesn't really happen. Yeah, the latter two are more linear. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that we will get to for sure um being as we have one director at the helm of an entire trilogy christopher nolan uh, is his personal quirks as a director and mm-hmm. he has many um that's part of what makes him such an interesting filmmaker to a lot of people is that he has some really I- readily identifiable tendencies and just fascinations of, about his his filmography he loved that 360 uh that camera rotation in the dark night i could not see it there's so many instances of it see i didn't get that that much I, I got that in in very specific dialogue scenes where we're not cutting as intensely we're kind of trying to live in the moment with mm-hmm. the two the two actors and whatnot um but the thing that i want to draw the most attention to right now is what you said about the editing style and batman begins being the most nolan-esque mm-hmm. <laughs> um is a uh, the man is obsessed with time uh, there's a reason why you know, tenant. Inception. Inception. Memento. Yeah. Memento. Yes. He has a tendency to fixate on this concept of time. Even Interstellar has. Um, oh, yeah. I forgot. Yes, it has quite a bit about that. I really um, liked Interstellar. And yeah, what Kyle's talking to, about is uh, in Batman Begins, especially the first third. It, it loosens up and becomes more linear mm-hmm. in the second half. But in the first third, it's really mesmerizing, actually. I really loved how they, they intercut back and forth between the past 
the the near present and the present. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're jumping all over in the timeline. But what what makes it so masterful and what really makes me applaud the film and Christopher Nolan and his editor uh, is the fact that uh, the shot choices and the the flow of the edits, especially in uh, the childhood scenes, um, feel like how your memory works. Everything snapshots. It's you don't get the whole process. You don't get to see a person. Um, get out of their car, close the door, walk down the driveway, go in their house. Mm-mm. You don't need any of that because that's not what your brain that's not what your brain remembers. You remember really specific images. Like um in you don't remember the funeral. You remember everybody at the house after the funeral. You remember waving to your your girlfriend, your childhood girlfriend from the window. You remember getting a hug from your butler/surrogate father. Um, if you really pay attention to the way it's shot and edited, it's like the camera's usually lowered when, when young Bruce Wayne is in frame, so it's all kind of like from his perspective. And the shot choices really reflect that of like a, a young mind kind of retracing its steps. Um, but I thought that was really cool, but um, it does loosen up, and like you said in the sequels, it's fairly straightforward. We don't do a whole lot of that. And we have almost no flashbacks back to when he was a kid uh, in those second two. Like, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, like, one little glimpse. There's the one thing with Gordon that I liked where he, in the third one, where he's like, it's about giving a kid a fucking uh, sweater when his parents are dead or something. <laughs> and you just get, like, that l- quick clip of uh, Gary Oldman. I'm like, that's perfect. That's all we need. Or he has, like, the one moment where his dad has got the stethoscope on his chest. I don't remember which one that one was in either. I'm like, that's perfect. I Just just that little bit. I believe that's Batman Begins. And, yeah, actually, that's a trick he employs in all, all of the movies. And every time it happens, it's brilliant filmmaking because it's, it's that show-don't-tell kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. the timing of the edit makes it feel... It makes it feel, like, really genuine as opposed to artificial and manipulative. Like... One of my favorite examples, um, and it's funny too because it's like two of the weaker characters, honestly. But it, like one of the stronger emotional beats that happens is when uh, Harvey Dent uh, flip get he finds the coin, the burned coin, mm-hmm. after yes. he wakes up in the hospital, and we just get that shot of his last memory of his his you know not yet fiance. Rachel, Rachel, <laughs> say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aaron oh. Eckhart, you don't have a mean bone don't. in your body. Do not yell Aaron Eckhart. No, Aaron don't. Eckhart comes across as the friendliest man that ever friended. <laughs> Watch Thank You for Smoking. But yes, I know, okay. I know where you're coming from. <laughs> um, but back to Batman Begins. Um, so yeah, the, the plot summary, um, the, the one thing that I really want to key in on is that regardless of what happens in the movie, the structure of it is it really does take you from Bruce Wayne's childhood up and up until the point that he's ready to fight supervillains. That's mm-hmm. the closing of the film, is that there's a promise of supervillains to come. We didn't really have any of them in this one, but we swear they'll be there in the sequel. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that was one of the biggest letdown of Batman Begins and why I kind of was like, as a kid, it was probably my least favorite. Like, if I was going, like, if I hadn't rewatched the trilogy recently or within the past few years, I'd be like, yeah, The Dark Knight's probably the best one. Because as a kid, I'm like, I don't give a shit about these villains. I'm like, it's Liam Neeson and a, the Scarecrow. I'm like, come on, Cillian Murphy? Like, eh, whatever. A- as an adult now, I'm like, it actually doesn't matter. It's just a good story. Like, it, it the plot is nice. The, the story is good. It's shot well. It's concise. 
then going back and watching the other two, you're like, it, I like the villains, but the, the, the story's just not there. Like, it's just not a good story. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you about the villains. Um, I feel like it was a conscious decision on the part of the filmmaker um, to kind of make the, the villains uh, be less present, I guess, in the story, because every other Batman film that had come before was... It was just kind of a parade of... of mm-hmm actors like having their way with with a villainous role like batman forever is the most egregious example where it's just you know jim carrey gets to jim carrey all 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 day long oh he jim Um, carrey's so hard in that movie yeah (laughs) but it's it's interesting because like again it's called batman begins um it's maybe the only one the entire franchise that really focuses the lens on him and it's not so much about the villains it's more it's more his story and it's kind of refreshing mm-hmm. uh, because even even in the Tim Burton era, or maybe even especially in the Tim Burton era, Michael Keaton is just kind of like throwing all sorts of elbows trying to get on screen, and he just can't get through Danny DeVito, the, the stone wall that is Danny DeVito. <laughs> like, it's like, I'm sorry, you're, you're just not going to get any screen time because it's too goddamn crowded up there. I think it's a perfect segue. Do you want to talk about uh, the characters, like the actual actors being the characters? <sighs> uh, it's a gigantic list so yeah we better get at it as quick as we can well i think the heavy hitters um are obviously batman this would be my second favorite batman as i've said uh these movies aren't as much fun to go back and visit because of christian bale's off-screen antics uh that he's a dick (laughs) (laughs) so when i when i'm watching him i'm like he's just a dick and it's that's why i think i really like american history not american history x uh american psycho sorry uh, it's been a long weekend. <laughs> uh, American Psycho is because he's just a full-on dick in that movie. I'm like, yes, this is this is great. Here he's kind of acting like a dick sometimes, which I like as his Batman, but he's not as bumbly as the uh, as the Michael Keaton Batman when as far as social interactions go. Yeah, um, you're you're right. Um, he's not as bumbly. Uh, he puts on a show, like he he pretends to be dumber than he is. Um, so like he'll make a spectacle of himself just to as a smokescreen where it's just like I'm gonna make a big spectacle of myself in this hotel you know bring a couple models have them swim in the fountain and stuff because that'll make headlines and that provides an alibi for anything that I do after hours and stuff it's like oh he did that that day he couldn't possibly have been batmaning you know out at night no one would believe that he was batman <laughs> that's well, the yeah. thing he, he could have done a, nothing <laughs> yeah but you know they they take special care like christopher nolan is a very methodical director and he's kind of obsessed with this idea of practicality and pragmatism but like he had he's like a walking contradiction in in that way though because he also has a habit of uh sweeping science under the rug Mm -hmm. um like uh my favorite example is inception they have a suitcase with with a wire in it that you plug into yourself and uh, i guess you're in the dream world it's like the technology's never explained but we wouldn't have a movie if we fixate on that. So yeah. I, I think it's very fitting that he ended up doing The Prestige because I think of him actually as a magician in a lot of ways. He comports himself like a magician in that he doesn't like to talk about the making of his films, and yet we're all constantly asking. And he's like, nope, not going to tell. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you're not a magician. I can't tell you. <laughs> he should he should uh, get one of those... Uh, Mr. Mystery hats, the uh, the like, the purple top hat with like question marks on it or something. Mm. Christopher Nolan, pickup artist, but um, 
yeah uh christian bale i i vacillate back and forth between calling him my favorite batman and keaton i, I think it's it's either one of the two i, I very few people would disagree <laughs> well we the thing is is with christian bale's batman we get a lot more time with yes, we do we, with the actual batman and a lot of his interactions with alfred like the ones with the ones that Michael Keaton's Batman had with his Alfred, they're, it, it's very uh, surface level. It's not really deep. He has a lot of conversations with Michael Caine's uh, Alfred. Yeah. No, Michael, Michael Goh and uh, Michael Keaton, the two of them have a, a thoroughly lived-in relationship where they don't have to say a whole lot to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot goes unsaid, but it's only because they know each other so well. Whereas uh, part of... Part of what I like about Christian Bale's take on the character is, like you said, he gets a lot more time, so he gets to he gets to, I don't know, give a more fleshed out performance, and it it's actually like a well considered performance across all three films because anytime you play the same character three times in a row, you're you're in danger of repeating yourself, and that's mm-hmm. something that actors of a certain caliber tend to veer away from. Like that's that's why it's hard to get people to do sequels sometimes is if they fancy themselves that kind of actor, they don't like to do the same thing twice. Um, and I feel like he he achieved that. I don't think he gave the same performance all three well, films. In fact, he and Gary Oldman both give different performances each film. Well, each film, the, the obstacles are different for each character. In the first film, he's trying to develop what like he's trying to figure out what he wants to do and how he wants to go about it. The second one, he's caught in a love triangle, and he's also dealing with a villain that's making him tap into his emotions, basically. And the third one, he's trying to overcome his age and his, you know, battered body, because <laughs> he's, he's like, there's no cartilage in your knees. <laughs> like, he's just fucked. And then he has to, not only is he trying to recover from injury, he has to recover again from another injury. So, it, yeah, it, it, it kind of changes the way the character is because he, he opens that movie in it with a cane like he's not even a hundred percent yeah no you hit the nail on the head and a part of what makes batman begins an interesting watch is because you get to see you know the batman character asking a lot of people questions asking for a lot of advice mm-hmm. uh, failing like stumbling and failing quite often um like like before he has the batman costume i love that scene when he jumps from the rooftop and almost shatters his fucking ribs yeah (laughs) um that face he makes when he looks back at them it's like that that is the face of the oh i fucked up face (laughs) (laughs) like like he just looks like oh my god i'm an idiot it's hard to bring up Christian Bale without bringing up like his body transformations, and this was this was actually one of them, uh, except it was a positive one. So I don't know if you when the last time you saw uh, American Psycho, he is probably he is a specimen in that movie. Like he is cut, ripped, jacked in that movie. And then he did The Machinist, where he ate I think an apple a day and like a glass of water, uh, and he got down to I don't even know how, but it was like scary skinny. He put on like another eighty pounds of muscle for this, and like this is like prime cut bail in this first movie. <laughs> yeah, like he's looking great. Yeah, he's looking great. Um, although apparently he showed up to the set the first day fat, and mm. they were call- they're calling him Fat Man. Uh, they probably, so probably bulked up. That was what he's like. It's ma- I'm cultivating mass. Well, actually, I I have the uh, the making the art and making of Dark Knight trilogy book. It is a, it's a fun coffee table book. I'm so glad I got it way back when, uh, and I, I was flipping through it before we recorded, just you know for old time's sake. And 
it was really interesting hearing about the casting process because uh christian bale i think was one of the very first choices um but like you said he was in the middle of the machinist um and that was when he talked to christopher nolan and he was like okay you look like you're gonna die yeah but do you want to be batman (laughs) and he was like yeah sure give me eight weeks to show up for the audition he was like you sure about that and i guess he somehow put on enough weight to you know wear i think he wore um it was either the batman forever or the batman and robin suit for his audition tape oh nice um but he filled out enough to wear that um, but of course he gained quite a bit more weight the wrong way uh, (laughs) because he was told to like put on muscle and stuff but um curiously enough cillian murphy um also auditioned for batman Mm -mm. and bruce wayne um and i've i've seen the footage and no no, absolutely they, they cast him correctly um but it was a it was a very nice get because i actually happen to like his his scarecrow quite a bit I like him in general. I think he plays, yes. but he's not a he's not a uh, a good leading guy. Like he's either a side dude or a bad guy. Yeah, no, uh, his his eyes are mm-hmm. one of the best special effects in cinema. Um, he just has a remarkable face. He always looks like he's on the verge of tears, and it makes him really interesting to look at because you you feel for him, but you're also kind of scared of him at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's very powerful stuff for for an actor to. It's very powerful tools to have in your kit. But back to Christian Bale. Um, yeah, what what what's really interesting about this performance is how vulnerable he comes across. Because, like you said, he's kind of figuring it all out as he goes, um, and he's just a lot less sure of himself than than other iterations of the Batman character have been. Um, and of course, we'll we'll probably get into this in more detail. But like he he has father he's surrounded by father figures in this film. Oh, Michael Caine like Michael Caine's Alfred is like you know I'm gonna tell you a story real quick. Like he 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 has a he has a very specific scene and it's the exact same thing in each movie where he tells him a story about exactly what kind of villain he's dealing with. Now, see, in like a Coen Brothers movie, the story would be about nothing. Mm-hmm. But it would be fun. <laughs> it's it would be like, fun. what was that all about? It's like, I told you a story, didn't I? I told you a story. <laughs> <laughs> Ten minutes passed. Like, and stuff. he's like, he's like, I'm gonna barely, barely tell you a story, but it's a parable. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he like he's there. There's a reason why sometimes Christopher Nolan is accused of, um, I don't know, not making room for women in his films. Um, and it's stuff like this where it's like Bruce Wayne has a he has a father complex. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he surrounded himself with surrogate fathers, like in the form of, uh, well, there's like Dream Dad who pops up from time to time. Mm-hmm. There's Alfred who's you know there all the time and is like the most prominent father figure in that he you know, never <laughs> he'll never give up on him. There's you know Lucius Fox, you know Morgan Freeman who's also there providing advice, and even Liam Neeson's Rachel Gould. He's also there as, you know, a twisted father figure, but a father figure nonetheless who hit him at the right time in his life. Mm-hmm. I uh, I like his Bruce Wayne. He has two Bruce Waynes though. That's what's nuts is he has the public Bruce Wayne, who's a dick. He's a, he's way more of a dick in that second one. I think that's his best Bruce Waning because he's actually like out to dinner with Harvey and Rachel, and he's kind of a kind of a dick like to to harvey just just in passing and i'm like i like that i like that in his his other bruce wayne but then his actual bruce wayne is actually it's actually very uh his heart is always in the right place if you know what i mean like he he's a very how do i say it he wants to give back so bad 
and I like that in his Batman. No, it, they take special care, and it, it actually comes across as you know a little bit corny, but yeah, I, I do like that. Uh, I do like that he has that because it, it's rare that you know Bruce Wayne is shown to be just like a straight up good guy. Mm-hmm. Like usually he's aloof and he's just kind of like I don't know, just waiting to put on the suit. <laughs> but um, they they do the thing where. Rachel Dawes, uh, Katie Holmes in this film, but none, but not the Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's around her, his behavior is different. Yes, um, where it's supposed to be that's that's the real person. Like, actually, that's a, a drastic difference between other versions of the character. Where, like, with Michael Keaton's Batman, it's like um, you'd be hard pressed to determine which which one is the real person. Is it Bruce Wayne or is it the Batman? Mm-hmm. In Christian Bale's case, it's like. Like you said, there's two Bruce Waynes and there's a Batman, um, but this one pretty much points the finger at um, the Bruce Wayne that's around Rachel Rachel Dawes as being like the, the most real genuine. Bruce Wayne. Yeah. yeah, the real Bruce Wayne. I like his Batman too. Um, he, I think he gets to have the most fun as his Batman in the second one. I think that's where he shines. Is that's where he's in his prime. He's confident in who he is and his abilities. Um, the first one, I can't remember, he, like, he's still trying to develop himself. He doesn't really get to go full throttle, uh, on his Batman. Yeah, part of that might have had to do with the suit. Uh, I know there is no comfortable Batman suit. Like, regardless of what they look like, they're all terrible to wear. Like, Mm. even the Dark Knight suit, which they have elements in the script pointing to it being more flexible and more agile and stuff. It's it wasn't. (laughs) But, um, the Batman Begins suit in particular, um, maybe even part of what, what made the movie both good and bad at times had to do with the construction of the suit where um, the material they used um, most of the movie was shot on sound stages and that was to their benefit because apparently it required really specific lighting to look right so the suit was a special effect unto itself um, and it was also uncomfortable to movement move in so you have a situation where um, you have an actor who has trouble moving around regardless of whether it's a stunt person or Christian Bale um, and then you have him having to do fight scenes. Oh, yeah, and it needs to be lit very specifically in order for it to look cool. Mm-hmm. So it's no wonder we ended up with a bunch of just, like, jumbled garbage for fight sequences in Batman Begins, where it's just like, how are we going to edit this? It's like, well, we're going to throw it in one of those uh, ninja blenders <laughs> and uh, see what comes out the other end. <laughs> but, yeah, um, his Batman is uh, more overtly aggressive than the other ones. Mm-hmm. Uh in particular in the dark knight uh that's part of his character arc is that he's got rage issues and uh the joker knows all of his buttons and it's mm-hmm. really fun to watch it <laughs> it's a lot of fun to watch in fact but in batman begins uh the the uh infamous batman voice isn't on full display quite yet he's still doing the batman voice but not as aggressively mm-hmm. um he gets that wonderful interrogation scene where <laughs> swear to me <laughs> Where were the other drugs going? Where were the other drugs going? <laughs> Do I look like a cop? If you, if anybody needs uh, a good laugh, find Pete Holmes as Batman on the College Humor site. Possibly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Any one of those videos is just gold. Yeah, I, I think you introduced me to those, and yes, they're gold. <laughs> um, they are uh, gold. Also, the Street Fighter videos he did are also fantastic. Oh, I didn't see those. Oh, they're great. Job interviews. Uh, Pete Holmes giving job interviews to the oh, Street Fighter yes. people. He did that with X Men too. Yes. My favorite is Vega. It, it is my claw. <laughs> it is my claw. 
I didn't watch the Street Fighter ones because I'm like, I, I don't know if this is gonna make any sense to me. I don't, I don't know who these, I don't know who these people are. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do that movie someday so you can get up to speed. But no, um, the the live action one, the Raul Julia. Oh, I'm gonna get him for you. <laughs> <laughs> I just flexed at him. <laughs> Kyle is referencing the animated film wherein a uh, Kyle does a bicep flex. It's like it's almost like a most muscular <laughs> whatever uh, to uh, Chun Li who is in a coma in bed. Can't see him. Can't, can't even see, see it, him flex. But, you know, thanks for showing that. But, um, but yeah, his Batman, um, the design of the suit, uh, I don't like the uh, techno abs he has. Um, mm. It looks weird and distracting. Uh, I don't like how big his neck is. It's also distracting. Yes, his neck is massive. Is gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a goddamn linebacker. <laughs> um, but the cape was one of the coolest innovations they brought to the table. Um, where it's not a big rubbery or leather cape, it's it's some sort of fabric that, um, especially in the Dark Knight, was especially it was specifically designed to look good on the Bat Pod. Um, whereas in this one, it's like, I guess no one really really wanted a flowing cape, a, a very long flowing cape, and it looks wonderful. Um, and also the suit was designed in a way where he could uh, do a lot more crouching a lot more like stalking like postures and stuff and and it shows it's it's neat seeing him be able to do that kind of stuff um and it needs to be said like part of like this is really shallow on my part but um part of why i have such a high opinion of bale's batman a lot of it has has to do with simple aesthetics honestly um keaton has those amazing lips and eyes um and it's it's kind of like enigmatic you never really know what's going on in his batman's head whereas bales like he has those really big eyes and like his his teeth he has fucking fangs like naturally mm-hmm. christian bale has fangs like his patrick bateman it worked perfectly because mm-hmm. there's a, a couple scenes where he bites people in that movie but um, <laughs> but yeah his batman has fucking fangs um he's got wonderful lines on his mouth area and he's got those big eyes and it, it just comes across as very alert and when he gives you a, a mean face, just something about the construction of his face gives him an advantage over some of the other people who have been Batman. Um, and yeah, something about the way his eyes catch the light. There's a lot more white in his eyes than any of the other Batman. And it just, it's a very lively performance that we, even even in a restrictive suit, somehow it comes across as having more character, I guess. And I appreciate it quite a bit. Do you want to talk about uh, Alfred? Yeah, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> um, I really like Michael Go, but I think Michael Caine's... I don't think it's better. It's just that his Alfred gets a lot more... He, he, he's got a lot more characterization. Like He has a much more of a relationship with Bruce Wayne in these. Yeah. No, uh, a lot of it, like you said, comes down to just time. Where He gets a lot more screen time. He gets a lot more dialogue. Um, he gets at least one good... Uh, bedtime story with bruce (laughs) um and usually it ties into you know the it's a parable of some sort that ties into things um and yeah he comes across as equally warm to michael go but he's more of an active participant in the action Mm -hmm. um this is a what i was talking about with uh, the upcoming andy circus version of the character um i anticipate action alfred because Mm -hmm. it's long been a thing in the comics that alfred the butler um was was a, like a secret agent on his own time uh, before he became a butler. James Bond just retired. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. 
Um, and you get that from Michael Caine, where he has some stuff he did in the past, like especially in The Dark Knight, the story about the jewel thief. You, like It's like, oh, you were in I the jungle? I saw a child playing with a ruby the size of a tangerine. <laughs> I love the way he says tangerine. I mean, yeah. It, there's something about his line delivery that he has, I mean, for an American's ears, it comes across as like a very unique pronunciation mm-hmm. but it's not it's, it's a regional <laughs> accent but it's a region yeah. we don't have here so it comes across as very unique and yeah he, he gives a great performance in all of them although he's a little fucking fragile in the dark knight rises um he he goes to tears like three times in that movie <laughs> what's emotional for him i mean because this is like a son to him and he has I, his move i it's funny, I kind of giggled a little bit in watching The Dark Knight, where after Rachel's dead and he's just kind of sitting there in his suit in the living room, and Michael Caine's decided to put that note right there for him to, to eat breakfast with, <laughs> like an asshole, and he's just like, she was going to wait for me, and he's like, uh-huh, and he just pulls the, <laughs> yeah, he just he's pulls like, what's that, and he's like, it, it can wait. It can wait. <laughs> um, good move, by the way, just like, we're just going to get rid of that. <laughs> Um, and you just, you go to the grave with that, dude. You don't need to, he tells him in the third one, that's one of his emotional scenes. But I, I liked him being emotional in that third one. It was one of the better parts of the movie. Yeah, actually that movie really needed him. Um, but he was gone for two thirds of it. Mm-hmm. He just, he dips early in that movie and you, he, they needed more of him really badly, actually. Um, now that you mention it, but. Um, yeah, on the whole, I liked him. I like that he's much more involved in the action this time because, like, it's neat seeing seeing Bruce Wayne discover the Batman. Like, we get to see all the firsts. Like, we get to see him fall into the cave and, and be scared by bats. We get to see how his parents got shot. The, the entire lead-up to it where, um, much like was intended with Batman Forever, um, we have him having a guilty conscience over the fact that he got scared during the opera or the ballet mm-hmm. or whatever, and he was the reason why they were in Crime Alley when they were, and Crime Joe Chill shot. Well, that's what it's called in certain uh, versions of Batman. I don't know okay. if they... I seriously doubt Christopher Nolan would allow them to say Crime Alley on screen in his Batman trilogy, but... Um, but yeah, we get to see that Alfred was there with him from childhood, and when he came back to the world after his uh, League of League of Shadows training and whatnot... Um, and yeah, even when he's like crafting the bat suit and like and the bat cave and whatnot, he's right there with him. In fact, he's like providing counsel. Like mm-hmm. like there's that goofy sequence where you can tell that Christopher Nolan's really obsessed with like making sure that things are explained or just not addressed at all. Some somewhere in between. <laughs> um, where they have the scene where they're talking about like ordering the materials to produce the bat suit or the or at least the cape and cowl. He's like, we need to place an order here for 10,000 10, units of this from a Chinese manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, just going through all these numbers and shit. He's like, is this relevant? This relevant? <laughs> like, I half expected Christian Bale to look into the camera. It's like, do we need to do this scene? Like, does anyone care? <laughs> Chris? There, there's a moment between uh, Bruce Wayne and Lucius Fox that I don't even understand. I think it's in uh, The Dark Knight, which, was, which is the one where they're going to out him. It's The Dark Knight. He has a he has a back and forth with Lucius where I'm like I don't even know what the fuck they just said. And he's like <laughs> I'm playing this one pretty close to the heart, Lucius. And he's like okay. I'm like I I've seen the movie a dozen times. I don't know what they're talking about in that scene. That, and he was even paying attention. That's the worst part of the Dark Knight, and we'll get to that for oh. sure. The script is problematic. Um, the dialogue. It, <laughs> the dialogue is. Mm, <laughs> A little hammier than you would expect, given the way it looks. It's spent. They spent all their time on the Joker, 
Like, we're going to have all his dialogue. That's going to be good. And then you're going to have your tertiary characters, your side characters with, like, what the fuck did he just say? Did he really just say that? Well, the problem is in how it's said. Because, again, it, again, Christopher Nolan, magician, there's a lot that just comes across as some sort of misdirection where it's mm-hmm. just like, is that important? I don't know. Was that explained? Honestly, it wasn't. Like, the, <laughs> the magic bullet sequence in that yeah. movie drives me nuts. I'm like, how much, how many minutes of screen time did we devote to that bullshit wherein nothing was actually discovered or learned? What the fuck was the point? (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck are you doing? It's like he just watched Seven. He was just like, yeah, the, the Seven, he takes the dude's finger and puts fingerprints on the back of the wall. I'm like, guys, just, that's not, okay? I don't care how you're getting from A to B here. You're going, you're going in way too much detail. Just get to B. There's a lot of that in the Dark Knight, and we'll get to it. But let's let's roll it back to Lucius Fox, because he is a brand new element in this trilogy, and because of these movies, he's become an essential element in most Batman stories going forward. Yeah, I like I like Morgan Freeman. It's hard not to like Morgan Freeman in anything, really. Uh, I like the character. He's got like an actual cue, like somebody who's making the stuff, because that's not that's that's something that's explained to like the rest of the gadgets. It's like, is Alfred coming up with them? And like, maybe. Is Batman coming up with them? Maybe. Having an actual person to, to explain these gadgets makes a lot of sense. And he is a good... They're a little too familiar for how little time that they've known each other. It's very it's a very professional relationship, but yet they're, they're really jokey. But it's, it still works. Yeah, um, it is a little hurried in how they, they come to like form a working relationship where it's like mm. hang on like yeah. you just met him <laughs> like and you're you're like loaning him like really 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 expensive dangerous equipment and you're totally okay with it you're okay with seeing your inventions on the fucking news <laughs> like, mm. um it would be probably really easy to backtrace that by the way like, oh it's crazy easy and and, and morgan free <laughs> lucius when the guy comes to blackmail him and he's like he says like one word that gives it away about what's gonna happen, and he just like pops up real quick. <laughs> you just get you just gave yourself away, man. But yeah, no, it it is nice having him have like a proper Q character. There's a reason why people have been saying for years now that Christopher Nolan should should have directed a James Bond movie by now. Being I as I would he's, watch that. I mean, being as he's like been touching on that particular subgenre of action film for quite a while now. Um, he's just kind of been skirting around it and like maybe it's more fun for him to just do things not like making nods or homage to Bond rather than doing Bond proper but like I mean the Dark Knight Rises the opening sequence the airplane heist it's like yeah that's a Bond opener totally Um, but yeah having him like have a a fixer like a a guy to provide him with tools and stuff it's it's a good uh it's a good logistical tool for moving the story forward because it, it explains away a lot of questions you might have because part of the gimmick of the, the way the movie is put together is that we're going to go through this process beat by beat and one of those beats is going to involve how the fuck did he get a Batmobile and a yeah. Batsuit? <laughs> um, well, here you go. There's the answer. But yeah, Morgan Freeman does his Morgan Freeman thing. Like As soon as he got to a certain age, I think he just became morgan freeman Mm -hmm. um we've mentioned on the show previous that you know earlier in his career he did some other stuff um 
but at, at a certain point you know that voice and that warm demeanor just became his thing that he would do and it works it it's it just works jonah <laughs> jonah hill has a really funny story about working on set with him and he just had like one scene with him in a car and he never talked to him but he had just this one they had this one exchange in the car it might have been the graham norton show if i can find it i'll send it to you it's fucking hilarious and, <laughs> and morgan freeman seems like he'd be a lot of fun um i really want to talk about commissioner gordon if we can absolutely okay um this is an interesting thing to see it's because it's gary oldman and what i would assume gary oldman's actually kind of like in real life because this is his least chameleon performance like i just recently watched uh i i watch what is it um darkest hour i've seen it a few times i really enjoy the movie him playing winston churchill you don't realize it's gary oldman obviously but i just watched his dracula his uh, bram stoker's dracula I love him in that movie. But the point here is that Gary Oldman is always playing some kind of... You, you, you don't know it's him. That, that's usually what it is. So to see him just being kind of a normal guy is a little weird. Well, I, I've often used this as an example. is like, you know, Meryl Streep in Mamma Mia. Mm. And, uh, Robert De Niro in uh, Analyze This and stuff like that. Or not Analyze This, but like bad grandpa and stuff like when when you get typecast in certain roles the the ordinary ones the ones that are like not part of your resume those are the ones that actually are probably more fun and more challenging for you where it's like i don't think meryl streep's a singer but she fucking did two musicals probably because she's done everything else so may as well give it a shot I mean, Gary Oldman played a drug dealing pimp with dreadlocks and True Romance. Like, I don't even know what he's what his ethnicity supposed to be in that movie. I mean, he played the the guy in the wheelchair in Hannibal. That blew my fucking mind. I think that blew everybody's mind when they figured out that that was him. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 interesting to see him doing just a regular old American accent, uh, acting like a regular guy. Well, and guess what? He fucking knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. He yeah. did a fantastic job, but. Like if you look at his resume, it's like that probably was a stretch for him. Yeah, that was, was probably, probably difficult. <laughs> that was probably hard for Actually, him to like find that and like dial himself back and stuff. I think he he has a an episode of Friends that he's on, and maybe two episodes. But he's really great. Just he's just doing. He's playing a normal English actor, and he's supposed to be playing like a famous English actor. Uh, so he's kind of playing himself a little bit, but he still is playing a character, which is a lot of fun. Uh, if I remember right, uh, there were certain people involved in the production that uh, had him tapped to be uh, Rachel Ghoul. Um, so that's that's a, actually kind of a weird thing is that they say Razal Ghoul in this mm-hmm. movie. In the cartoon, they say Rachel Ghoul, and mm-hmm. I, I think in the comics, it's also supposed to be pronounced Rachel Ghoul. So I don't know which is correct, but I'm always going to say Rach because I watched the fuck out of that cartoon quite mm. a bit. So, um, but he was supposed to be the villain essentially which would have been him being typecast because that's what most people in 2005 would have expected. It's, it's like, it's Gary Oldman. He's going to be a weirdo and he's going to be the bad guy. Um, but Christopher Nolan actually was the one that had the idea where it's like, no, Gary's a fantastic actor. Commissioner Gordon's a really fucking important character. Let's let a really good actor inhabit a really important role. Well, I don't think that Gary Oldman brings like a physical performance. Like he, like Liam Neeson has like an edge to him. Where yeah, he looks like he can knock you out. Like he's he's got some physicality to him. I don't know if I would buy Gary Oldman in that kind of a role because like Liam Neeson's got like what maybe fifteen twenty years on uh, on Christian Bale, but he's well, you still a, look. 
the the big thing for me is stature. Mm-hmm. Gary Oldman is diminutive, um, and we have Rachel Ghoul. Um, Liam Neeson fits the profile. Like if you've seen him, the character in the comics or in the animated series or whatever, he he looks right. He's got the voice. Mm-hmm. Both of them do. I mean, Gary Oldman is a tremendous. He he's a chameleon, like you said. He can do things with his voice, um, but him standing below eye level with Christian Bale just would not look right. Given the content of the dialogue, Rachel Ghoul is supposed to be like daddy. <laughs> like like Alf- Alfred's like, he's like mom and Rachel Ghoul is dad. <laughs> like, Gary, like dad doesn't put up with your bullshit. <laughs> Gary Oldman's Gary a, a gun bad guy. Like yes. he's not a physical bad. Like him in Air Force One, gun bad guy. Uh, Leon the Professional, gun bad guy. Two completely yeah. different villains is still yeah, menacing. He, he, he needs a tool to get at you. He's not gonna. Yes. He's not gonna fist fight you. He's, he's got to have a tool of some sort. But um, I thought it was a wonderful call, and it needs to be said. Uh, this is not Commissioner Gordon. This is Lieutenant Gordon, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, and we don't get a Commissioner Gordon until halfway through the Dark Knight, which mm. again, it's we're showing the process beat for beat, which is a totally foreign thing to the Batman series at this point in history. And it was really neat uh, to see. Um, to see the script really uh, pay attention to the fact that uh, the corruption of Gotham is one of its biggest problems mm-hmm. because we don't yet have supervillains in Batman Begins, uh, not until the League of Shadows shows up and, you know, the Scarecrow goes totally batshit. Um, so we just have the mob Falcone. and corrupt cops. <laughs> yeah, Falcone. One of the funny, it's one of the funniest uh, gangster names ever. Like, it, it just can't take it seriously. Carmine Falcone. Yeah, Falcone. And even when, like, uh, Rachel's, Rachel's saying it, she's like, Falcone. Like, it's, <laughs> it just sounds so stupid. I actually know who I think would have made a fun Commissioner Gordon if we're going off of, like, uh, what he looks like in, like, the comic and the uh, animated series yeah. is uh, Magnum P.I. Uh, Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck. <laughs> just big, tall, give him some glasses and the big mustache. Yeah. Oh, I'm, Kyle, you just put the most awesome image in my head. Tom Selleck as Batman <laughs> with the mustache. Though. <laughs> yeah. Like like uh, Cesar Romero and his uh his Joker. I'm not shaving my fucking mustache. mustache. Just paint the makeup on the mustache. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it would be it would be Batman with a big bushy mustache. And speaking of mustaches, um I want to say that Gary Oldman's the foundation for his performance in Batman Begins, not the other two, but in this one was based around the mustache. I can see that. Because the thing he's doing with his voice, I think he just looked in the mirror after they put the mustache on. He was like, that, that, that's how a guy with a big bushy mustache talks. They gotta yeah. talk from behind the mop. You know, <laughs> that's actually really good. That's that's a, a really good Gary Oldman uh, yeah. Commissioner Gordon. We have semi-autos. They get automatic weapons. <laughs> what about escalation? <laughs> how does he do that? <laughs> I gotta get me one of those. Gotta get me one of those. Trailer uh, line. Uh, it's pretty much there just for the trailer, as far as I can tell. Yeah. But no, I on the whole, I really liked his performance. By the way, uh, Brian Cranston did the voice of Jim Gordon in a uh, Batman Year One, the animated adaptation of the Frank Miller novel, which uh, graphic novel, which uh, mm. served as the prime foundation for this film, uh, because it also retraces the early stages of batman's career and parallels it with that of jim gordon um solid performance not terribly good adaptation but um yeah i thought that gary oldman came across as very warm and he's 
that's mostly why he's here, especially in Batman Begins. He's just supposed to be a good, honest cop with integrity and warmth. And, you know, the scene where he does put the jacket on a little boy. <laughs> um, it Bruce it works. Yeah. yeah, like he's in his patrolman's uniform and whatnot, and he just gives him that, like, pat on the shoulder and that really sweet smile. And it's like, yeah, that's all I need. I don't need a whole lot of dialogue. Um... Do we are goons in this movie like are uh, do we have any like other main characters i don't really feel like rachel is she, the actress changes between the movies she dies in the second one she's i guess a part, kind of a part of the plot here in the first one but honestly i don't really care about her as a character she's she's a uh She's a plot device. She's not too much of a character. In fact, she, Katie Holmes bothers me because, on, <laughs> well, in general, but, <laughs> but on an aesthetic level, she bothers me because she doesn't fit the look of the rest of the movie, you know? Like, no. everybody else has, uh, to quote Joss Whedon, texture. Te- there's a certain texture to the cast in the film uh, that she she lacks. And even her fucking silk blouse, where those, she's, it must be cold on that set or something because, hmm. <laughs> those those closing shots of the movie are <laughs> kind of distracting for the wrong reasons, um, but uh, yeah, just like her her attire, like she doesn't have any lines or blemishes on her face. I get what they're trying to do. She's supposed to be like representative of like pure justice, like 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 the true the true hope and uh, for the future of Gotham and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Something that. Something that Bruce Wayne should be aspiring to. So she's constantly, like, speechifying and kind of, like, posturing around him, trying to nudge him in the right direction. But it comes across as, like, like, what does your apartment look like, lady? Like, do yeah. you fucking sleep? Like, like, like seriously. How, like, she, are you, like, are you that preachy all the time? Because you just sound insufferable, to be honest. <laughs> go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, seriously, go to sleep. Justice can wait. <laughs> I can figure it out, but... Yeah, she just comes across as, like, uh, just somebody to kind of put Bruce in his place from time to time. Yeah. Um, from an overarching plot standpoint, it's really, it is kind of weird, actually, how much of a fixation he has on her. Mm-hmm. Because they have very little screen time together. Um, somehow he just maintains this weird childish crush on her over many, many years. Um, and by the time we get to the Dark Knight, it does indeed get kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's a good thing that that story ends where it does. But in this one, it's like, yeah, she just pops up from time to time. They they do work together. She does find out that he's Batman. Uh, he Well, he tells her, essentially. Well, the I think the fixation is warranted because the, like she's literally the only person that knows him that's of the opposite sex. That knew that knew him before he was a billionaire and genuinely likes him for who he is and not because he's a billionaire. That's why he's probably latched on so tight. He's like, I got, I have to marry her because I. There's no possible way I'm going to find anybody remotely close to her. So yeah. it makes sense for his specific situation. If it was, if it was, uh, what's his face, uh, Clark Kent. I'm like, you just work in a newspaper, dude. You can, you can find a few. Like, you'll be all right. <laughs> You know, say Bruce Wayne has one itis. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, actually, the way, when you lay it out that way, yes, it does make some sense. And it, but what's what kind of works though in Batman Begins in particular is that um, the whole movie is him kind of learning lessons as he goes. In fact, the way the the way the way the dialogue and the plot is structured, there's a lot of callbacks to lessons learned earlier in the film, um, 
and by the time we get to the end of it it, it is i'm so glad that they don't end up together mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the film it's like thank god they had the balls to actually just let things progress in the way they should as opposed to like where maybe a studio exec would like to see them go yeah um, although, maybe uh maybe tom cruise had issue with that like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, whoa. they weren't <laughs> married yet i just looked it up because anytime i think about uh, him as Patrick Bateman, I think that he based his performance off of interviews he saw with Tom Cruise and how he's like, there's just nothing going on behind that guy's eyes. When, when I saw the uh, commercials for American Psycho, I actually thought that was Tom Cruise. Oh, really? Like, I didn't know who Christian Bale was. So mm. when I saw him like peeling the mask off of his face, I thought, is that Tom Cruise wearing makeup appliances? Hmm. That's honestly what I thought the movie was, was Tom Cruise playing a batshit crazy person that wore, like, other people's faces or something. I love that movie. It's so good. Um, was there any other main characters that you want to touch on? Do you want to touch on the villains a little bit? Yeah. We got Scarecrow and Rachel Ghoul. Yeah, and Tom. Is it Tom Wilkinson who plays Falcone? Yes, yes. I I always like him uh, when he pops up. I liked him in The Patriot. He's, uh, he's a lot of fun in there. Oh, yeah, he's great in that. Um, um, he's he's great. He's usually a prim and proper uh, Britishman <laughs> or Englishman. Um, but yeah, in this he's playing like he's, a he's cold fucking he's, mobster. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> always fun. I think it's one of the easy. I think southern accents and northeastern accents are the easiest for for uh, British people to do. I think it's it's just easy to slide right into because you can you can have some fun with it. Yeah, and he really only has, like, two or three scenes in the whole movie. Um, mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan loves packing his movies with faces. And I think my brother's right. Like, he, he likes doing that because it, it triggers an emotional response on the part of the viewer. Um, that so kid... you, can, you can get a lot of mileage out of seeing familiar faces without dialogue and stuff like that. That kid from The Killing of a Sacred Deer, he's some Irish actor. He's pretty young, but he's in Dunkirk. And I'm like, what the fuck is he even doing in Dunkirk? Like, it doesn't even make any sense. He is, you want to choke that kid in The Killing of a Sacred Deer. But uh, he just has that, he has that look about him. Like, I just want to slap him. No, I, I know what his face looks like. And yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's Very got slap. a bad. He's got a bad. Um, I like Cillian Murphy or Killian Murphy. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know. Um, it's something along those lines. Um, I don't like Scarecrow as a character. I don't, I, it's probably my least favorite thing about the Batman movie is the Scarecrow character. Uh, I think it's funny you mention that because I guess Christopher Nolan had issue with him too. Mm. Um, not the actor, but the character of yeah. Scarecrow. Um, yeah, not, not a, the actor, the character. Yeah, uh, I guess a, a big hang-up on Christopher Nolan's part was uh, he kept asking when they were writing the script, does he have to wear a mask? Because that seems silly to me. Yes, it's stupid. Yes, I, I mean, from a logistical standpoint, yeah, it's kind of dopey. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, which is why they usually only had him wear the mask when people had the fear toxin in them because it would only be threatening or intimidating if you were you know under the influence of some sort of drug yeah yeah he's just jason Voorhees. like he's just got the the knapsack on his head going around um yeah and i hate how he they they introduce him in the second film in it like i'm like he's not scary at all especially if you're just gonna have him like he's just starting off in the mask um yeah i like I like when he's not in the mask. I still th- I think the character's good there. Uh, I I really like how they tied him into the story. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a really unusual team up. Usually, I don't think Rachel Ghoul teams up with other villains too often in, in the comics, as far as I understand. It seems like the League of Shadows are like the worst business partners. It looks like they're <laughs> going to take advantage of you and then break your fucking neck when they get into town. Well, yeah, I I really the the build to that is actually kind of fun because mm-hmm. we're we're introduced to them like in the first ten minutes of the movie. Um, and Bruce Wayne trains with them um, and kind of steals their their techniques and whatnot. Um, but they're not present in the film for another two hours or so. Mm-hmm. But we get like hints here and there sprinkled about where we know that uh, the mob is working with the Scarecrow. And we know that the Scarecrow is answering to someone else. And Falcone, who is displayed as being like a fucking lion among men mm-hmm. in, term, in like the mobster world. Um, when scared. he's told my boss is coming, he's like, what the emperor's coming <laughs> like, here he's coming yeah. he's coming here the emperor's coming here <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I like that it's like it's like planting too. the seeds for conflict to come it's like ooh, who's that gonna be i like having villain and then oh i'm actually working for a bigger villain i'm like that's fun i like that i do like how uh Razal ghoul is like bruce wayne's like i saved your life he's like i don't give a fuck <laughs> you shouldn't have well yeah i love the the kind of the i don't know the reciprocity of it where it's like i it's like you you burnt my house to the ground and left me for dead we're even, we're <laughs> it's, even. Like, it's like damn that's fucking jesus cold. dude i didn't leave Thanks, you for dead dad. i left i left you with a dude and it i didn't catch it on fire it caught on fire yeah <laughs> i would tell him he saved your life did i kill your boss dad yeah i might have done that <laughs> it's like maybe i might have done that that wasn't my fault. The ceiling fell on him. Like, he just decided to take a nap on the floor right there. Um, but yeah, Scarecrow, um, he's he's never been my favorite character in the comics. I, I like his gimmick with the fear toxin, and depending on who's writing him, he, he can play a lot of different angles. Um, I feel like... I think Jeffrey Combs actually voiced him at one point, Ooh. but he would have been a good scarecrow. Yeah, as soon as you said Jeffrey Combs, I'm like, that's perfect casting. Yeah, that- I, I think he did do his voice at one point, but uh, Cillian Murphy does just fine. Yeah, um, and I really do like um, that he he has a place in the entire trilogy because that's something I've been asking for from superhero movies for decades. It's just like, why can't we just have like a, a random supervillain show up for one scene and just be inconsequential and just be there like Mm -hmm. like i think it's cool when you have that in comics where like the first two pages of a comic is like spider-man beating up the shocker it's like does the shocker need to be in the rest of the comic no but it's like it's a fun identifiable character that you know shows up for an action beat and then he's out of there and they kind of do that with the scarecrow in the sequels but um it's kind of neat seeing his path as well where he starts out and he's like kind of hiding in plain sight he's like doing some sort of experiments on the inmates at arkham he's in bed with the mob and the league of shadows um but once he's doused with his own gas mm-hmm. um that's when he goes full scarecrow and he's just he lost it yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of fun seeing you know it's called batman begins may as well be you know everyone begins i think it was a trailer line but he has one of the goofiest deliveries in here i, th- I think it's this one he's like oh he's here he's like who's here he's like he like yeah, has his I neck all scrunched about. up he's like the Man, the I'm Batman. Like, the Batman. <laughs> He's like looking up all crazy. I'm like, uh. It was a trailer line. Okay. And it it's, was it was embarrassing. It's really goofy. <laughs> um, but, um, in addition to Rachel Ghoul and Falcone and the Scarecrow, though, we also have uh, Victor Zaz, 
um, who I believe it was introduced in the comics in the 90s. He is in, I think, two shots, or no, not two shots, but like two scenes of Batman Begins. Um, he's in a courtroom, uh, I think, before the DA is killed. Uh, speaking of which, Rachel Dawes banging her bosses left and right. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Two different DAs. <laughs> two <Damn>. bosses. <laughs> two bosses. But um, Zaz is just like, he's like a serial killer that Batman clashes Oh, with Joe Chill? Time. No, not Joe Chill. Um, Zaz in a, in Batman Begins has a mustache and a bald head. Um, and he's nothing. just in a courtroom scene. Uh, apparently, he's an affiliate with Falcone. Um, and then he's in the Narrows during the conclusion, and uh, he gets uh, he gets an overhand right and goes to sleep, <laughs> and that's the extent of his uh, presence in the film. But it was neat for you know people who know the comics to hear that name, because he's a you know he's part of the Rogues Gallery. He's not a household name, but it's like if you know it, you know it. And it was a nice little Easter egg. But um, did we say all we need to say about Rachel Ghoul? Um, I mean, I like this is a. Uh... Patient zero for me as far as Ra's al Ghul is concerned. Like, I never... Really? Never, yeah, I'd never... If I'd watched the animated series, I don't know if he pops up in there. I don't remember if he does. He does. Um, yeah, this is my first time seeing him because I don't know anything about the comics. Oh, damn. I, I feel bad for you. Uh, yeah. David Warner did his voice in the series. Mm. Um, and he knocked it out of the park. Um, it is so hard to look at that character and not hear that voice, especially because he... Uh, I think it was a thing in the comics. Uh, I don't remember it coming up in this movie, but uh, one thing that Rachel Gould does in the cartoon and in the comics is he refers to Batman as detective. Um, and David Warner saying that in his David Warner way, detective, is like, ooh, ooh, that's cutting. That works. Isn't he the bad guy? Isn't he the, like the cop dude from Titanic? Isn't that David yes. Warner? Yes. Okay. That's the only thing I can think of. Love joy. I- <laughs> Yeah, you know, I think the ship may sink. Uh, and he, he's also the doctor from a TMNT 2. <laughs> I think I've only seen him in Titanic. So oh, I think David, David Warner is a, uh, he's been in a couple of Star Trek movies as well. Mm. Uh, a couple of them. <laughs> he's played a Klingon and a human. And he was on oh. the TV show. I think he was on Next Gen as well. Jesus. Um, he is awesome. Uh, he does a lot of low budget like sci-fi and horror schlock. And you can tell he just loves it even though he has that like really dignified british quality about him it's like you know he he loves this crap <laughs> like he's just a big nerd um but rachel ghoul is an interesting character because he is like almost the top of the the pyramid in terms mm-hmm. of like villainy uh, yes his his scale is very seldom just gotham city it's usually like a he's like an eco-terrorist almost um, his motivation is un like you you kind of sympathize with him a little bit. He's just like, no, I'm, I want to be true justice. Like it has to be absolute justice. But like, no, 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 no. What you're talking about is not justice. It's just punitive. Like all you're wanting to do is punish people for frivolous things. Like, no, 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 this guy stole a horse. You got to fucking cut his head off. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh, let's, let's step back here a second. Why was he stealing shit? Maybe he needed this stuff. Like doesn't matter. He was stealing it. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he is just, just like pure raw vengeance. I yes. Guess. Um, and Liam Neeson got it. Like he, mm-hmm. he read the material and he knew how these lines had to be delivered. And he, he, I thought he was quite good. I wish he was in more of it, but then again, maybe if he was in too much of it, it would yeah. have lessened the, the effect of the performance. But 
Um, yeah, generally the character in the comics is he is like a larger than life threat. He usually does have like a personal army back uh, backing him. By the time we get to the Dark Knight Rises, his uh, his daughter Talia is characterized as like one of Bruce Wayne's main squeezes. Yeah, uh, they they do have a son together in the comics. Oh my god, um, Damien and uh damien <laughs> damien <laughs> that's a that's a like not just a name but that's like a thing you can call someone to piss them off i think <laughs> after up, ni- damien after 1974 i don't think you can name your kid damien <laughs> the, the omen yeah yeah um but rachel ghoul like was a very good pick for this movie um not just because like the way the script is but just because um he's often characterized as like a paternal figure for mm. bruce wayne like there's a whole uh, stretch of the comics i think it's called son of the demon where bruce, batman is working for him well as if, batman if that's if this is the person that bruce has learned from and it's the group that he's learned like he they all know what they can all anticipate him he can anticipate them and they're all on equal footing like they're all like they're all in the same weight class they all have the same skills which is kind of nice and there's a ton of them so it actually it's a believable like oh he's actually gonna have difficulty with these guys yeah no it it was not just putties Um, yeah and by the time we get to the dark knight rises part of the reason i was so excited to see bane show up like my hype level for that movie was like driven to the highest of highs because uh we really hadn't had that yet in a batman movie we never really had someone who could punch batman Mm -hmm. like everyone else was certainly a physical threat but not like in a just like a mono a mono kind of way like the joker's dangerous if you allow him to be dangerous yeah um but if you fight him in a like a blank room or something like a like a boxing ring or something you're gonna tear his head off <laughs> yeah that, that's the cool i i did really like this like yeah if you take away all of his knives and stuff he's got nothing but even still it's not gonna do anything beating him but i really i really love that sequence just as soon as the chair goes onto the door i'm like oh yeah <laughs> well yeah we'll we'll get to that scene because yeah. it's probably the best scene in the movie uh, maybe it might fa- be honestly. it's pretty fantastic yeah uh, say whole, what you will about the whole movie that sequence is fantastic him it just as long as the joker is in the interrogation room the it's just spectacular the whole <laughs> the whole time he's in there every it's every tremendous. minute of it it's tremendous uh, so um one thing i wanted to talk about about this about the nolan movies um and this is different from the structure of previous discussions we have it uh, uh, set pieces um speaking of the interrogation room uh are there any like big key moments or sequences from Batman Begins that you think of as especially memorable or impactful or just plain cool? Hmm. I th- I don't not any set pieces in particular. I think the just the the Gotham building, like the the Gotham world building. Like like you said we have in Batman in the uh, Burton Batman, we've got the sound stages and it's pretty consistent between the first two. We kind of have you can tell it's a sound stage. Um, here it's not it's not so I don't feel it as much it feels like you're in an actual place uh, and it, I like the Gotham it's actually gritty and dark and it feels like what Gotham should be um, and we get our moments where he's like at the mansion and it feels right and moving into those other two films it there's just Gotham's not gritty anymore it's like we're in downtown Chicago or some part of New York wherever we're filming um, I can't think of any set pieces in particular that I I personally uh, liked quite a bit. I did like the League of Shadows. Um, I liked their little hut, the the house thing. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, the stilt house. <laughs> yeah, um, I enjoyed that. No, that was pretty cool. Uh, it's one of one of the few instances of straight up CGI in the movie, as far as I know. Like the just the exterior of it, but the the set in there is really cool. 
Um, forgot to mention, Ken Watanabe is in the film mm-hmm. uh, as a double for Rachel Ghoul. He's a decoy. If you don't know who Ken Watanabe is, he's in the 2014 Godzilla with his mouth partially open, not saying anything. Yeah, he doesn't say a whole lot, and yeah, his breath probably stinks. Um, Let them fight. It's <laughs> the foundation for that entire franchise now, is just that phrase. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's all you have to do to make that particular audience happy, and I'm one of them. Yes. Um, but yeah, Ken Watanabe is a double for Rachel Ghoul. He's in the movie for a few minutes, um, almost like winking at the audience, like just saying like, it's almost like the Mandarin in the Iron Man three, where it's like this is what this is what y'all probably expect for this character, but we're better than that, <laughs> and it worked out. In fact, if I remember right, I could be speaking out my ass, but I think Christopher Nolan told Ken Watanabe after Batman Begins, like I, I got something for you, like I, you didn't you didn't have much to do this time, but I do have something for you, and sure enough, Inception he was a key part of. Yeah, um, but yeah, uh, for me. Um, the production design, yeah, is certainly noteworthy. The sound stages are incredible in terms of scale. I guess these things were stories tall. Mm, um, nice. The Narrows, in particular. Um, and the Batcave also. The Batcave is a set, and it has a fucking waterfall in that's it. That's insane. Like, I didn't realize it was a set. It's a set, and it's pretty wow. fucking spectacular. Yeah. It's so tall, and that waterfall was functional. Imagine just hanging out like on your lunch break, just like hanging out by a fucking waterfall indoors. It's <laughs> pretty nice. In a bat cave, in an artificial bat cave. Um, and yeah, the Narrows. Um, I think the Narrows is one of the coolest introductions um, in in this film. Uh, it's it's basically the slum district of Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. It might be isolated to Batman Begins. I don't remember it, it ever being mentioned in the comics or the cartoons oh. or anything. I thought you meant like isolated in the film. Like it's not in the other two films. I'm like it doesn't come up in the other two films. But it's represented in the film by a tremendous soundstage. Like it's multi-tiered. Like those mm-hmm. sequences where Batman falls from the rooftops, those buildings were that tall. And they were indoors in an airplane hangar where they built all those sets. It's it amazing. Looks, it looks good, yeah. The, lighting... the design of it, it's meant to look like uh, the Kowloon uh, walled city. Uh, mm. I think it's been demolished, but I've, I've mentioned it a few times to you because if you look up photos of that thing, that was an architectural nightmare that so many movies have taken influence from, so many video games have taken influence from. Um, but yeah, the, like the color palette as well. These movies, like it's really kind of cool that I can think of a, a color palette um, for each of these movies individually. This one's brown, mm-hmm. second one's blue, third one's white. Um, and I think that's really neat that the again the, just the marketing was that strong that's like I can't think of Batman Begins without thinking of Brown. Um, but for me, uh, in terms of uh, set pieces, of course, uh, the Tumblr sequence um, when we get introduced to his Batmobile um, mm-hmm. ties in with the score of the film, where um, there's this kind of like build where we don't get to see Batman in the bat suit until forty minutes into the movie. Uh, which is about on par with like a Godzilla movie, which is kind of funny. But um, well, it's a completely the opposite of the uh, the past four Batman movies, where it's like we're immediately like we get to see Batman immediately in the suit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's appropriate being as it's Batman Begins, and we're trying to show the path up to the bat suit, and it is kind of neat seeing him fail uh, before he has his full suit assembled. Where it's like. You're, it's almost like the movie winking at you and saying like mm, he's not Batman yet. <laughs> like give him a minute, he'll he'll work out the kinks. So it, 
Um, it's really neat how I think Hans Zimmer even said that um, Batman had to earn his theme music um, because like the most boisterous example, like the most complete example of his theme music doesn't happen until he's in the Batmobile uh, trying to save Rachel um, from the fear toxin. And we get like a good five minute car chase sequence that all the incidental dialogue is like horribly, it's like wince inducing, honestly, it's cringy as all hell. Um, but you know, if you look at, if you look at it from like a, just a sheer, I don't know, design and production standpoint, they had to invent a vehicle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if they want to pat themselves on the back, they earned it. (laughs) Like they really did because that is not, that is not a vehicle that existed prior to this film. They Mm -hmm. had to invent a whole vehicle. Whereas Batmobile's previous were just like, I don't know, a Chevy with, with a, chassis put on top of it or something yeah it was pretty simple yeah whereas this one was intended to be functional and had an entirely unique drive system that i guess like again had to be fabricated from scratch but the way they choreographed that sequence the way it's shot you can tell christopher nolan really loves car stuff Mm. like all of his movies as far as i know have car shit in them and it's always shot really cleanly and beautifully um, you and really good miniatures, by the way. I didn't even notice the miniatures, and I did oh. not—I did not notice the score at all in any of these movies. See that? I don't understand that, Kyle. Didn't I, even, I do not understand that. I didn't. It didn't even come up, like and one time. It's did I one of the it? strongest elements in in this in this this particular chapter of the series. Mm-mm, nothing. Oof, they, wow. Yeah, I I didn't even notice it. I can't tell you a single like maybe if I was to hear maybe if I was to hear a song I might be able to it might be able to recall something in the film but I can't hear it in my head at all. You, you might want to get that checked out, man. <laughs> like, like, well, no, I can hear that I can might hear, be some neurological shit or something. Well, anytime I think Batman, it either goes to Burton or it goes to like it goes to like Batman Forever. I, I I'm thinking of the Dark Knight. I'm like I got nothing. Oof. I, I just my brain can't comprehend that because I can't think of these movies without thinking of the score because it's it's Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. Um, uh, before I before I get to the music, I just wanted to say yes, uh, Christopher Nolan loves miniatures. He loves them, um, but he's a fucking magician who doesn't like to talk about it. So mm. oftentimes you're seeing miniatures without knowing it. That's um, fine. And, I've, and a lot. I've, of, that's that's the best kind of special effect usually is the one that you're not aware that you're seeing um and yeah a lot of the tumbler stunts a lot of the he's flying on rooftops was mm. done using like radio controlled miniatures and, oh, and nice. miniature buildings and stuff and um not only that all all of those helicopter shots the narrows it's a fucking miniature it, it's like with that miniature, makes sense with miniature drawbridges and buildings and stuff. That, it, it's a miniature that makes sense yeah and they're riddled all over these movies it's just you're usually not aware that you're seeing it because they're so fucking good <laughs> well apparently there's a camera there's a certain angle or whatever it is i almost sent it to you it's literally just a construction site and there's like guy like a few people walking around there's trucks driving and it looks like it's animated but the way the the way the uh, lens I don't know what it's called I'll have to find it but it's really fascinating yeah well I mean if you shoot a large object from a distance um, it probably becomes very difficult for your eye to discern scale it's a way of making part of it blurry and part of it clear which is what makes it it animates it a different way 
Okay, I'm trying to think of what that's called, but I'll, it's not, I'll find it's, it. It's not coming to me at the moment. But yeah, the miniatures on display in Batman Begins, and well, the whole the whole Nolan era of the franchise are quite good. Um, but yeah, the Narrows and the Tumblr sequence are the the two biggest examples that come to mind. Um, but yeah, the score is tremendous. Um, it's an opera basically. Like it it isn't operatic in the way it's composed. Um, Hans Zimmer loves him some synthesizer, uh, so there's a lot of electronic thrumming on the score for all three films. Um, I guess James Newton Howard was brought, brought on board to do the more uh, character-based and like emotional portions of the score. So yeah. usually when Katie Holmes is involved, um, and a lot of the more like I don't know heartfelt moments on the score, and all the action is mostly Hans Zimmer. But there's a lot of like ambient buildup, like a lot of there's a lot of percussive tracks where it's just like it's just like. Dun, 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 dun. It's like a heartbeat. Maybe with, that's why I don't notice it. It doesn't stick out to me. Well, when we get into full-on action mode, though, Hans Zimmer has a fucking ball with it, and he takes it for a walk, and it's see, pretty. It's pretty spectacular. So I'm thinking back to the 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 gunfight when we're trying to get Harvey Dent in the car, like the Joker's in the truck. I can't remember a score at all. I can remember is the 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 noises in the scene. That's because there was no music in that scene. Okay, that's why I, that scene is so good. Is yeah, because normally you would expect a score, but Nolan Nothing. loves gunfire. He likes cars and he likes gunfire because all of his gu- the reports of his guns are always exceedingly loud in the theater. Mm. I remember when William Fickner shows up in The Dark Knight. Oh um, yes, the first gunshots in that movie. I was like, oh fuck, Jesus, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, he he must have some like really good foley people or something on board. Somebody mentioned that about Dunkirk. They said that that's one of the the greatest things about Dunkirk is the sound design. Uh, I didn't see it in the theater, but um, well, he he sometimes gets criticized too because I guess Tenet has a problem where the uh, the dialogue levels aren't mixed correctly or something. Where mm. not only is it difficult dialogue to follow, it's also difficult just to hear. Um, because of ambient noise and stuff being too loud, but um, I haven't seen that movie. But. I cannot think of a single piece of music from any of the Batman movies. I'm like beating my brains here, like trying to think of something. Well, <laughs> let, let me send it to you. Like, like let me send let me send you some music, uh, and you should listen to it just just you know for fun because it's good fucking music. <laughs> I, I've tried listening to scores. I, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can do that. I, I tried listening to the Blade Runner 2049, like just having it on. I'm like, I, I can't well, listen that, to this. That shit's so low-key. <laughs> it's cool. I like it. That's the thing. It's like I really like this score, but I'm like, I can't listen to it like a piece of music. Like Same oh, with like the Batman stuff. I'm like, I tried listening to the soundtrack to Batman and uh, Batman... Uh, returns i'm like i can't i don't know for some reason i can't sit there and listen to movie scores hmm well i was just listening to the score for batman begins um at work and when i was flipping through my uh, dark knight trilogy well, making of book just you, now. you're not an outlier i know i know other people that do it it's just i i don't know i just doesn't i just can't do it it's weird <laughs> well you know to, to each his own but anyway uh tremendous score all three films but this one the one really important thing that probably needs to be said about the score for Batman Begins is something I, I'm just going to reiterate because I did say this earlier was um, they really knocked it out of the park the first time at bat um, because so many of the themes um, and there are many of them there are so many themes um, for Batman Begins it's not just the the Batman theme it's it's many many themes for many different moods and characters and stuff uh, are in this score 
and they find their way into all three of the films and it's just really fascinating to think that's like wow they really put in all the extra work up front because i'm used to i'm used to sequels to movies you know either starting anew or you know making more drastic additions to that that which came before but in a lot of ways like everything was there the fr- from the first movie onward <laughs> so it was, it was kind of interesting but um yeah that's about all i had to say about the, the score for this one um i'm not even sure if i'll have a whole lot to say about the sequels going forward but i'll bring it up when it's appropriate <laughs> um but overall assessment of batman begins kyle just to wrap things up on this guy yeah, I think it is the best one. I think it's the most rewatchable. I actually want to watch it again now. I might actually watch it once we're done because I, I haven't. I have watched it recently, but not so recently that I couldn't rewatch it now. Um, I think that the story is fun. I like. We don't. He's not full blown Batman yet. Um, I like the villain. I like how the villain's plan is executed. I think it's a good thing for him to try to stop. I mean, it makes sense that he's trying to stop this. Like, it, they're going to blow up Gotham, basically. Um, so, yeah, I uh, overall, I think it's the uh, the best of the Nolan Batman. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you now. If you had asked me in 2008 or 2012, mm-hmm. uh, I probably would have said The Dark Knight. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, I think I like this one the best just because it's it's... Uh, the word that comes to mind is like mythic, where it it has a lot it give it gets a lot more leeway in the way it's written in the way it's structured in that this is like a hero's journey story, and we begin in the fucking mountains of Bhutan or whatever with did ninjas. Not, yeah, did not think that was where it was going to start <laughs> with with hallucinogenic ninjas and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so you know it it has like a little bit of like comic bookiness that actually helps it a lot where it's like some of the sillier elements of the the plot structure and the script you forgive it because it's like oh this is bruce wayne's story the the lens is entirely focused on him and any goofy shit that comes up it's like you know we got that early on that it's that kind of movie Uh, whereas the dark knight and the dark knight rises well dark knight in particular seems to take itself so much more seriously um to the point that actually hurts it a little bit where it's like when it does touch on some of those weaker points of the script you you're more critical of it than you would be otherwise i think i want to mention my favorite scene from each one of the nolan movies uh because i i I forgot about the scene where it's his final test and he has to where the guys are all shifting inside the uh in the place i think that's probably my favorite scene in the movie my uh my friend in high school uh he he agreed with you um i remember that was kind of how he sold it to me because he he was he was convincing me to go see the movie and that was part of how he was doing it. He was like, so there's a scene I'm, I'm having trouble describing it, but like they make a wall of people and he's on these drugs that make it hard for him to like pinpoint what, who's what and what's where. Um, and yeah, the, the sound mixing there and the edits, like the, the sharp, like, like the sharpness of their movements and stuff, it's really discombobulating. And I love just the subtle, the subtlety of some of the effects they do for the fear toxin. Mm-hmm. like um the glowing eyes and uh the yeah. of course he sees bats at one point but one of my favorites is uh when he does when he doses the scarecrow and he's his face is like yeah. made of black tar yeah. <laughs> and he's, like, he's trying uh, to interrogate him and in we see it from his perspective it's like what the He's just, he's catatonic. He can't even move. Seriously, he can't even blink. I've been that high before. Actually, the the funniest part of that is uh, 
when he finally tells him what he needs to hear and then he has this joke about like dr crane's not here if you'd like to leave a message yeah he like the last shot we get of him when he's in that black tar form is he just like rolls his head like motherfucker and then we just cut away really sharply to him just like throwing his head against the wall (laughs) he's like fucking shit i'm done with you (laughs) i've been that stoned like in that that sequence where he has to find raz al ghul and like man that would be tough (laughs) he is just like shot like oh fuck he was over there like just your train of thought is just not there so yeah i need some cookies man (laughs) if i got water i need water i'm parched i'm parched cotton mouth what do you want to bruce wayne would would fight the ninjas kyle would just sit down crisscross applesauce give me a minute (laughs) um so we already kind of covered our our, uh personal history with the dark knight um you were just out of boot camp you said yeah just out Uh, of boot camp um i had no boot camp in my life (laughs) um but you know in 2008 like i said the hype train was insane uh for the dark knight the the trailers for this movie were incredible um I think it was an Apple trailers uh, thing, maybe maybe YouTube, but I seem to remember like Apple trailers or something. But yeah, they had the uh, pixel by pixel reveal of uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, where you had to like log into a website or something. It was a viral marketing campaign. Those were kind of big. Like I think Cloverfield was one of the earlier examples of that. But Dark Knight also followed suit. But um, yeah, uh, this one was interesting because personally, I wasn't expecting a sequel for whatever reason uh yeah i, I don't know why but um the it ended end, with joker cards how did you not think there was going to be another movie because i didn't think they would have the balls to do it oh wow uh, <laughs> you would got the balls oh well, i was you know a cynical teenager so i was like they're, they're not gonna do joker <laughs> but you know I, time proved me wrong and now we're we're inundated with fucking jokers <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> because yeah. because the joker's probably more marketable than batman these days mm-hmm. uh shows you what's wrong with society but yes. <laughs> but um yeah I, I was super hyped for this one like i said when i when i first saw it i thought it was you know the bee's knees it was fantastic uh but my opinion of it has i still like it quite a bit uh to be perfectly honest it's just mm-hmm. it's not what it was when i first saw it so um well, give us a summary of the Dark Knight, Kyle. Yeah, so Batman is uh, he's back. He's still at it, back at it in Chicago, <clears throat> Gotham. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so he is trying to. He's putting the moves on Rachel still, but we have a new villain in town, and they've actually locked up. Uh, they haven't locked up. Sorry, that's uh, Harvey Dent did that later. Um, there's still quite a bit of crime. Not as much crime as there was in Batman Begins, but there's still quite a bit of crime. But now. We're actually going after the mob bosses. We're going for the heads. We're trying to cut the head off the snake. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get this done. Problem is, is that the mob or people within anticipate these moves, and they hire a guy who is who just wants to watch the whale burn. And uh, <laughs> yeah, Batman has to take down has to take down the Joker, and it's not as easy as you would think it would be. Yeah, uh, that's pretty concise overview of the movie um this one takes place uh i don't think they ever say on screen how many years after the second one or the first one rather um but part of what what really draws me to this trilogy is i almost think of it like as a a sports analogy like i I, the only sports that i really follow are 
boxing and MMA. Uh, so I, I don't think in terms of franchises or you know p- positions and players, I think of people. Um, so maybe that makes more sense if you think of that, think of it in those terms. But um, in terms of like a body of work, so we have Batman Begins where he's an up and comer. And then the Dark Knight represents him at the peak of his powers. Mm-hmm. Where he has the most resources. His physicality is as good as it's ever going to be. Tyson uh, in the late 80s, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then by the time we get to the Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, he's maybe retired once or twice. <laughs> he's <laughs> Tyson now. He's, he's, he's Tyson <laughs> well, post-Holyfield. Like, he's Tyson now coming back to fight. That has yet to be proven yet, because I don't know how much HGH he has in him. Maybe that makes you better, but... If there was ever a guy who did not need performance enhancing, <laughs> it is Mike Tyson. <laughs> but maybe Tyson, when uh, when he got thumped by Lennox Lewis, put it that way. Okay. Um, or 2002, I think, was when that happened. But um, I really like that that particular arc of a character. It's really interesting to have those readily identifiable chapters of a character's arc. where Batman... First- at this point, sorry. At this point, Batman has just knocked out Holmes. Like that's where he is in his career, and yes. we're going into yeah. Sorry. Yeah, My- Michael Spinks is asleep. <laughs> um, uh, Tokyo hasn't happened yet. He hasn't met Buster Douglas. <laughs> Buster there's Douglas a, versus the Batman. There's a handful of guys with CTE just from that one fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trevor Burbick fell down three times after one punch, but um, but yeah, in this one, Batman he's matured. Um, his equipment is better than it's ever been. We get many, ins- we get like some really proper Batman action where we get to see him like do stuff that you would expect Batman to do, and yeah, we get to see him drop on a car in in mid driving. It's it's like that's stuff straight out of the comics. It's stuff you you would have thought would have been in every movie, but it honestly wasn't. There's I, what I liked about the Nolan movies initially was how he grounded it in reality and for the most part it is like it is a pretty realistic um idea of batman the thing that's not realistic and carries through the entire the entire uh, nolan era is his falling on his feet because it happens in all the movies and it makes no sense but this was the one where i'm like i don't even care that was awesome <laughs> yeah that's he has like an almost like obsessive fixation on stuff like that though like really trivial things because Batman Begins, he, I don't know, he softened on it a bit. Because there, there are instances where he is straight up flying. Um, and Batman doesn't fly. He, he has a grappling hook. He, he glides. He doesn't fly. But the way they shoot things and edit things, it's like, dude, he just flew. Like, he just carried that guy up into the rafters with, with no cords or anything. How did he do that? But in this one, in The Dark Knight, like, in the very first scene he's in, like, we get some really interesting little details there where he has that... Uh, metallic grip um, mm-hmm. that he <laughs> he gets stuck in a fucking van <laughs> yeah but it's kind of interesting to see that because it, it perpetuates this uh mythic character it it creates a larger than life figure because imagine you just bore witness to a guy in a bat suit grab the barrel of a steel rifle and bend it effortlessly that's like you probably didn't see the tool he used to do that but you did see him do that so it it gets all the hoodlums and stuff on the street telling each other that, like spreading the word that, oh, shit, you don't want to fuck with Batman. He can tear your rifle in half and stick it up your ass. <laughs> Not think twice about it. Oh, yeah, but if you got a dog, no problem. Oh, <laughs> that gosh. dog will straight up fuck him. <laughs> my dogs are hungry. hungry. I love that guy. <laughs> He's one of my favorite characters in The Dark Knight. 
Ah, well, speaking of characters, um, mm-hmm. we should probably go over those. So we're not going to go into as much detail as we did with Batman Begins, but we we should touch on like changes of performance or just like changes in character from the sequels. So yeah, so yeah, we didn't want to mention like uh, because we've already gone through the characters, but how they're different. So like we mentioned in Batman Begins, he's learning, he's learning to be Batman, what he wants to be, and this one he's like you said, he is Batman at this point. But he's kind of dealing with uh, his emotions a little bit. Like he wants to, he wants to bed a lady. He wants to, you know, get settled down, and he's kind of having to deal with that. But he's also having to deal with um, a villain that has no, like we don't know how to stop this guy. Like I don't know what does he want, and like he doesn't want anything. So a lot going on with Batman. Yeah, I think the most important change in his in his performance, and you know, in the character in this movie, is that. Like I said, this is him at the peak of his powers, um, but he's also ready for early retirement, mm-hmm. which is really fascinating because it's like a it's almost like a Sugar Ray Leonard thing or uh, like any any fighter who you know is trying to get out while they're ahead. It's so rare, and in, and in this case, in Batman's case, it doesn't happen. Um, it kind of gets forced upon him, but but it is interesting to see this character who you know he's more capable than more capable than he's ever been but the end goal is in sight he he actually gets ahead of himself that's actually part of what makes the story kind of work in some ways and remember we both do have critiques against this movie so i'm not showering it with praise right now Mm -hmm. i'm just trying to say that from a writing standpoint it is kind of neat to see this kind of tragic arc for this character where he gets ahead of himself in that he's trying he's reaching way too far where it's Mm -hmm. like not only am I going to fight crime, I'm going to try to stamp it out entirely. It's like, dude, that's not how that works. Like, well, you you can't try to eliminate crime as a concept. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you just can't do that. Well, it was corruption. That was the problem. And that's why he came onto the scenes, because the system was corrupt. Mm-hmm. So having Harvey Dent, having somebody in a, a position of power that's working with the mayor, trying to make Gotham a better place, it's like, yeah, I think that if we get this guy who's very hungry to get criminals off the streets that i can step away and i can do it with my lady friend problem is your lady friend is just all about uh harvey dent and yeah, yeah. she's all about she's all about the title man <laughs> she she loves her the da man mm-hmm. <laughs> she loves the da <laughs> doesn't matter who it is <laughs> um yeah but yeah so, that, that's the that's the major failing of the character and that's it's because of his ambition because he sees Harvey Dent as the conduit through which he can achieve this mm-hmm. ultimate goal of if I eliminate crime as a concept in Gotham City then maybe I'll stop having the my emotional problems and maybe I can shack up with Rachel who yeah. doesn't who has never really said that she wants that but I'm just going to keep projecting onto her and assume that she'll be okay when I'm okay with it when your net when your net worth is so high that you can take private planes and not even think twice about it, I think you're pretty confident that you're gonna land the girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Except, like we established in Batman Begins, Rachel Dawes doesn't sleep. She she breathes justice day in and day out. Uh, do you think that she would have been uh, still? gung-ho on harvey dent if she'd heard him yell because <laughs> his yell uh aaron eckhart's yell is so it's so silly well it brings to mind uh what the naked episode of seinfeld where uh mm. jerry hooks up with a girl oh you the know cough. Te- 
Yes. It's like there's good naked and there's bad naked. Like, yeah, coughing, pickle jar, opening a pickle jar. Those are bad naked. That's that's ugly naked. And in, in Harvey Dent's case, it's like, oh, that's an ugly yell. <laughs> like, imagine if we, we had a kid in Little League and he's like, go, go, Tommy. <laughs> I've worked with I worked with a Rachel at a restaurant. And anytime someone would say, hey, Rachel, at least two of us would be like, Rachel, Rachel, Rachel. <laughs> Rachel. Yeah. I still do it. If my my sister in law is uh, is a Rachel, so anytime, Rachel, Rachel, <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, it's actually, so bad. now that you mention it, like Batman Begins also has some Christian Bale Racheling as well, mm. <laughs> but not on the level of Aaron Eckhart. His Rachel is pretty hideous. But um, you want to get to him, or do you want to touch on Rachel? Who Aaron Eckhart? Yeah. We should probably talk about him as being as he's, you know, this, you could actually argue this movie is his. In fact, it's not an argument. I, I read the fucking making of Christopher Nolan says this is it's supposed to be his, the, the movie's Harvey Dent's movie. It, <laughs> it, it sort of is at the beginning and then it isn't at the end, if that makes any sense. Like he's so inconsequential to the story after he becomes two-faced where like, I don't even care what he's doing. Because that's the the big MacGuffin is happening at the end, which is super stupid. I'm sorry, I I hated the end of this movie, but that's when he's two facing around. I'm like, I kind of don't give a shit at this point. Like I don't care that he's two. You could have kept him in that hospital bed, and then bam, roll him into the third movie with Bane or something. Well, I mean, I'm not. I wasn't sure when this was going to come up, but I, the first two movies were written by David S. Goyer. Um, along with Christopher Nolan and his brother. Um, and mostly the reason I want to bring that up is because I don't think David S. Goyer is a good writer. Um, he has some gigantic blockbusters on his resume, um, but I think he is, like, grossly untalented in some ways. <laughs> I think he's just gotten lucky because he wrote Blade uh, in 1998 or 97, and uh, sure enough, we, we came into this era where superhero movies were en vogue, and, you know... Who do we who do we have on staff who's a comic book guy? It's like right here, dude. So he probably got the gigs because you know he had the reputation for being the comic book guy. Who, by the way, Blade made a shit ton of money, and in yeah. fact, a lot of his movies have made a shit ton of money. It's just from a writing standpoint, most of them no, are not special. They're awfully saying. written. Blade is fine. It's um, fine. It's not. He wasn't the reason Blade was good. Oh, in sorry, fact, Wesley Sn- Wesley Snipes wrote most of the dialogue. <laughs> Wesley Snipes is one hundred percent the reason why Blade One is awesome. Blade One is awesome. I really enjoy both. It is one and two, and it's not because of the story. It's not because of the writing. It's because no. Wesley Snipes <laughs> is in it. Yeah, you think Terminator Dark Fate is a well-written movie? Fuck you. <laughs> Get out of your fucking mind. Sin no. City, or I'm sorry, Sin City, Dark City. I don't really care for the the plot of that film. I love I love being in it. I love watching it, but I don't like the story. Sorry, dude. <laughs> but yeah, David Escore. I, I don't really have a point here. I just wanted to make make it known that that's my opinion of him, and I want to say that he maybe was responsible for for some of the less than great lines of dialogue in this movie in particular, The Dark Ugh, Knight. Dude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently there were treatments that existed before The Dark Knight Rises was even a twinkle in uh, Christopher Nolan's eye, um, wherein the Joker was you know, obviously intended to be in the third film. Um, and some of the ideas involved like the Joker uh, being involved in the creation of Two-Face, like maybe even the end of the second film or the beginning of the third one being what gave rise to Two-Face. Mm-hmm. Um, so... 
I mean, Heath Ledger completed his role. Like everything that was intended to be shot with him was shot. So there's no conspiracy theories about like, oh, they had to rejigger the editing, you know, to, to you know sort things out because he wasn't around to like do research or something. He's like, no, they got all the footage they had intended to get. Um, but yeah, Two Face feels like an extraneous element in this, where Harvey Dent is very much welcome. Like yes. he's he's a great part of the story, and I love that he's this unfortunate victim in like a a power struggle going on where it's like Bruce Wayne is kind of like using him. Mm-hmm. He, he's kind of forcing moves like bigger moves than are, than are warranted to happen. And unfortunately Harvey Dent is that ambitious that he, you know, is willing to go through with them. But like I said, Bruce Wayne is trying to use him as a conduit to retire. He's like, he's basically saying you're, you're doing the, the public facing side of the job that I can't do. So here, you you take my mess, <laughs> resolve it for me, and then I'm gonna fuck your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's a um, real David Lee Roth move. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting just to think of like Batman in this movie is actually kind of like a, uh, like not a stable, but like a his character doesn't move a whole lot. Like he he's kind of stationary, whereas Harvey Dent is the one that goes through the traditional like story arc. Mm-hmm. In, in, it's a tragic one for everyone but in batman's case he's ki- he's kind of like just biding his time and trying to put out fires until literally until he, <laughs> yeah literally putting out literally fires putting until out fires. until he can get what he wants and then unfortunately it, it all goes to shit and uh he has to make some bad choices later on but yeah aaron eckhart i thought on paper seemed like a good choice because i think thank yeah. you for smoking came out before this right i think it was like a year before i think it came out in 2004 i really enjoy that movie i know you oh. do and i haven't seen it but oh, funny t- katie holmes was in it too oh weird yeah she's actually really good she has a she has a nice role in there um apparently she dipped out of this one because she needed to go do a movie with clean queen latifah <laughs> Some sort of comedy about money. I forget what the title is, but that's a silly thing to do. Uh, I, you know, I have a, make a billion dollars, right? <laughs> I have a tinfoil hat theory about her uh, dipping out of the franchise. I think I there's a very, very Tom Cruise esque reason why she's not in this film. Well, I think it was that, but I also think it had to do with the ultimate fate of the character. It's mm. Like, not everybody is comfortable with getting blown up in a movie <laughs> yeah you don't want to, yeah i get it like you don't want to blow up katie holmes like that i mean that would be better like you would you would like dude i was not expecting that and that is not cool maggie gillenhall you're like i'm kind of okay with that sorry <laughs> <laughs> but i'm kind of okay with that but yeah honestly like the official reason is that she had a scheduling conflict like i said she had to go work with clean latifah who's a wonderful person i think she's a wonderful pure soul she made me laugh but um that movie i don't think anybody remembers i don't even know what you're talking about so. exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> you know what i do remember is the dark knight <laughs> exactly so like part of me wants to say that maybe she wasn't okay with getting blown up or something or maybe yeah. tom cruise felt that way but anyway she's not here but yeah aaron eckhart um as harvey dent slash two-face um i think his performance is fine i think he gets and I think he gets served up some shit dialogue from time to time. He gets some bad scenes. The scene where he, after they tried to uh, assassinate the mayor or Commissioner Gord, or yeah, they tried to assassinate the mayor, and he's uh, he kidnaps the dude and is playing Russian roulette <laughs> with him. I'm like that's the dumbest shit I've ever seen. Yeah, um, I had to look up that guy's name because he he's a type. He has been. He, he's gotten some big roles because he's, he's that got pri- that fucking face. He's in Prisoners with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. Yeah. He's Gyllenhaal. also in the upcoming uh, 
the Suicide Squad. Oh. Um, and he's also an Ant-Man um, as a I Russian fellow. I don't think... I'm going to need, like, legit, like, like reliable word of mouth before I even see another Suicide Squad. Anything having to do with those characters. But James Gunn, doesn't that name carry weight with you? It does, but I really just really burned by both of the birds of prey and the uh, suicide squad two, both... two words kyle john cena <laughs> john cena come on uh, <laughs> i mean I, i'm cautiously me. optimistic um be I like... cautiously optimistic would be <laughs> yeah that i'm i'm not even like i'm not even gonna watch it unless somebody says dude you gotta watch it I like that the poster and the teaser made it look like a, a pulpy, like, Dirty Dozen kind of movie. Like, it, if you see the poster, you'll know what I mean. Um, okay. It looks like one of those old-fashioned men men on a mission. Men and women on a mission. Um, but, yeah, John Cena and James Gunn. But, yeah, that, that actor's name is uh, David Dastmalkian or Dastmalchian. And, yeah, he plays crazy people. It's what he does. And mm-hmm. he often does it quite well. Um, he has... Similar skills uh, to like Cillian Murphy. He's got that kind of face, but um, Idris yeah. Elba instead of Will Smith, different character, but yeah. Oh, they he had like the the thing on his eye. I'm like, oh, it's the same dude. Okay, different character. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Aaron Eckhart. He he shows up to play. I think he does the best with the material he has. I don't think he, I don't think he quite works as Toothface. Mostly because I just don't see him as being a mean and nasty guy. Um, what did you think of the the uh, technology uh, to represent Two Face? I hated it. I I didn't like it at all. This see, is Kyle, a time. Kyle Kyle has problems with CGI. <laughs> I, I have problems with CGI faces. It's if I can notice it, if I can clearly see it, then I I think it's silly. Um, I how how would practical effects not have worked here? I don't understand it. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually curious, um, being as it's Christopher Nolan, like why they why they would go that route because he's he usually finds ways to do things practically. Like he he's known for that. Um, so it was really shocking to have such a in your face effect done that way. Um, maybe his rationale was having to do with the performance. Like he didn't want the actor to be inhibited or something. But most actors benefit from having makeup. I think it would be a little more, a little scarier, like, especially if you got, like, a nice contact lens in there and, like, had his eye all messed up. Uh, and also, it doesn't seem like it's very sanitary. Like, having his face that exposed, I'm like, he's going to get an infection. Like, he's, that, that it's a big problem. Uh, yeah, I think it looks stupid, and I think it was a dumb idea. Yeah, uh, maybe it had to do with him wanting to, it to, like, some of the the vacant space in his face maybe that was impossible to do in in makeup but you could easily just use the cgi to remove certain parts of his face uh, working in concert with the makeup because i've seen what it looks like without the cgi and it's just a couple of dots on his face he did shave half of his head and they did have like burn makeup for his scalp but nowhere else um actually a friend of mine who works in computer graphics um he works in the video game industry i remember when this came out he had a lot of complaints about it because um as an artist he had to learn human anatomy pretty well um he said it's physically doesn't make sense because Mm -hmm. the the way his face is structured it's like gravity and physics don't work that way like his face can't move that way it can't be preserved in the way it is so it was a weird choice 
um i think i think the quality of the effect like just objectively um for 2008 and beyond still looks good yeah it just uh, mm, uh it doesn't aid the performance in any way it just seems like it feels like too little too late where it's like dude we already have a lot of mobster. We have we have Eric Roberts as as a mobster in this. Yeah. We've got Michael Jai White for a couple minutes. We've got Mr. Lau. We've got the Joker. This movie is packed to the gills with bad guy presence. We don't need another one. Er- Eric Roberts, I think, is the definition of dreamy. Uh, I think it's the best way to describe him. Um, <laughs> it yeah, was Ramirez. He's actually in one of those <laughs> movies. He's in like we talk about our co-workers saying uh, call me by your name was a good one um eric roberts is actually in one of those aids movies where the, the, the movie's just about a guy having aids or having cancer and dying and he's no. gay sammy sammy, sammy no. no sammy no sammy his <laughs> <laughs> best work in his whole fucking it career. really is his best it's his best work um yeah, if, you, if you don't get the reference it's from the cable guy just watch the cable guy <laughs> yeah um no i think that the actual execution of the idea was just fine especially for the time i just think that the idea was not good yeah no i agree with you although like everything i just said about like the movie being too packed with villains in order to complete the arc that they set up like it needed to happen like like two-face had to show up in the movie um i don't know if he needed to die but um the the way it was written it was just it was a foregone conclusion essentially so I feel for Aaron Eckhart. His career has kind of gone a different direction than a lot of people in this movie. Yeah, right. But I don't think he did a bad job. I think he just, I think maybe David, I think his script got goyered or something. He got goyered. Um, I don't, I want to talk about the Joker. I don't want to spend a lot of time though. Okay. Okay. I don't want to, because we could be here for another hour if we tried to do this. I want to just say specifically what I thought uh, Heath Ledger did well. Okay. And I have some problems with um, I have some problems with the Joker and not the performance, just what the script did with the Joker. There's a f- several things that don't make sense, but I want to say that uh, I love the character. You don't know it's Heath Ledger. Uh, I like his makeup. I did. I like that he's got a like a. There's a dark humor. I mentioned this when we talked about Jack Nicholson's Joker. I'm like, there's a dark comedy element to him, and there's also like a very twisted side that's gonna like. It could snap at any moment. His moment with Gamble, where he's just uh, he's just kind of got his eyes on him, and like you are really you're pissing him off. You just can't tell. Um, I, but I love his. Uh, I think one of the best moments, just subtly, is when they get Batman and the guy gets electrocuted and he has like the oh, and he's about to cut him and he gets the gun to the back of the head. And he's like oh, could you just give me a second? <laughs> just, he's, I love that moment. Sorry, yeah bro. no I, I i'm glad you had all that to say because I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on all that like you had said i think on a previous recording what was better bits with gamble with michael jai white is that you think you could just take all of our money and walk away the, yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even play he's just yeah <laughs> yeah he plays the best off of him i kind of wish that he was in the rest of the movie well actually that speaks to um something that it just occurred to me that's actually kind of fascinating about the way the character's written is that um he he's got a lot of quirks and mm-hmm. i don't even think he's aware of them it's really fascinating actually because um him fixating on gamble uh in a lot of ways he's like a he's a manipulator he's he's not just a trickster he's very good at 
getting under your skin and figuring out what's going on in your head. Mm-hmm. So in Gamble's case, he walks into the room. Everybody's silent except for Michael Jai White is banging on the table and saying, I want this fucker's head. So he kind of laser focuses on him and he's like, he's easy. He's quick to provoke. Everyone else in this room doesn't seem to have anything to say. Maybe he doesn't need to be here anymore <laughs> in order for me to get what I want. And sure enough, later on in the film, he eliminates him and absorbs what's left of his gang <laughs> because they have tryouts, <laughs> um, which is a great moment um, he, where he kills Michael Jai White with a music cue <laughs> because we don't get to see it. <laughs> yeah, we don't get to see it. Uh, I think there's a good, I, I think he slits his throat. Uh, it's probably a good thing he had that garbage bag on because I think he would have gotten well, the way the way he died as quick as he did, yeah, it was probably his throat. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, bouncing from that, I mean, another example is the interrogation scene, one of the mm. better scenes in the movie. He's emotionally manipulating Batman. He's tugging at him and poking him and prodding him because he's he's figuring him out. He's mm. Very good at that. And then, sure enough, same he does the exact same thing to Two Face. I can hear the score again. I can hear it now. I can hear that scene. The, the cello, yeah. Yeah, I can hear it now. I'm like, that's one of my favorite moments is where he, he just keeps hitting him. And he's just like, you've got nothing to yeah. threaten me with. And that moment in particular, I'm like, that's really good. Look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When he throws his head against the glass, it's fantastic. Um, and yeah, I love the cross-cutting back and forth between the interrogation and like Gordon realizing, oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't think that's in the script. <laughs> I think Bale's lost it. <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I was going to say, I personally love when the, the guy the guy who says, have a nice trip, see you next fall. My God. The small dialogue we'll have to talk about real quick once we get to it. Um, but his when he's telling that guy, he's like, I like knives because you can just savor all the little details with people dying. I'm like, that is, that, if David S. Gore wrote that, that that was good. That was a good little sequence. Well, see, that's another example of him being a lot quicker, a lot sharper than you might expect. Where it's like he's scanning the room and he's re- recognizing that, hmm, this guy has personal beef with me. Maybe if I draw him in closer, I can grab a piece of glass and take him hostage. He does it so well too. Yes, yeah, he does it very very well, and it, it plays into the you know the story quite well where it kind of falls apart a little bit is where he has a master plan at the end of the movie Mm -hmm. with the fairies and stuff and he i think i think it wouldn't have uh i think it wouldn't have even been a hiccup in my mind if he had no reaction to it like things going tits up or it's like oh nobody blew themselves up and he's just like oh well (laughs) (laughs) i mean actually it would either be he had no reaction or he had a much bigger reaction because, like, the whole thesis of the character is, you know, he's an agent of chaos. Like, mm-hmm. he's, he has very little faith in humanity, and he thrives when things are chaotic and awful. Um, See, he should have had a backup plan. If they didn't blow themselves up, he should have been like, well, that's okay. And then he has a bazooka, and he's about to shoot the fairies anyway. Well, actually, like, now that I think about it from a structural standpoint, it's kind of, it's kind of funny to think that um, the one time he had a master plan is when it failed, <laughs> like mm-hmm. when it when it didn't work out for him when he finally got ultimately caught. So I guess that, that's kind of fun. Like that's ironic. <laughs> I've luckily I've chosen I think a very subtle Joker quote to hang on to, and I've, I've been doing it. You and I, I think you and I have been doing it for years now. The uh, I know the squealers when I see them, and. <laughs> just that finger, I st- I still use it. Yeah, I have that gif 
like at the ready like in the yeah. holster on my phone and mm. it makes me very sad when people don't get it but it's yeah it's so perfect and i i would not be surprised if it was part of the dialogue in the script and he just omitted it i didn't realize i i kind of learned that he, the his wardrobe his actual outfit was very meticulously uh picked by him and the and the costume department like he was a very big part of that which was really interesting i not, i don't really i didn't notice his attire until that was pointed out and then i tried to take notice of it throughout the film well yeah it's really funny too to to think that christopher nolan obsessive about certain details as he is um there's an explanation in the script as to how he has those suits is that he stole all that money in the beginning of the film from the mob and he used it to you know update his wardrobe <laughs> Can I talk about my problem with what they did with the Joker? Sure. How is he going from place to place? It doesn't make any sense. Um, once he, they have him on camera as the the guy. Like he has a, he has a thing about him. Like they know that there's a guy with clown makeup. He's walking around in the daytime. He like he gets into that bus like when he blows up the hospital. Uh, guys. He's back here in a dress with makeup on. Does nobody notice this? How is he getting from place to place? How did they not notice him at the parade? Do you see the dude with the scars on his cheek? I'm like, wouldn't that stick out to you? Sorry. Yeah, um, that's one of the weaker elements of the script on the whole. Is uh, it, may, it may not even be the script, honestly. It could be the editing. Uh, because, like I said, Christopher Nolan has an eye for certain details, but not others. Um, so a lot of the logistics of The Dark Knight are really, really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they really just don't give you enough information sometimes when it's it's in stark contrast to the presentation of the film. Because the movie actually plays out like a police procedural that happens to have a Batman and a Joker in it. Um, and moving away from the production design style of Batman Begins, same production designer, I believe his name is Nathan Crowley, did a bang up job on all movies, but um, first one, you know, it's all sound stages and stuff. This one, it's mostly open air. Like they really tried to make the city be a character and like shoot a lot outdoors on a location and stuff. And it just lends an air of realism that was there in the first one, but not quite so much. Um, and then when you have that aesthetic paired with a script that really doesn't want to share some really important details with you from time to time, uh, it it's a little jarring, honestly. Like the the magic bullet sequence to me is like one of the most egregious examples of it's of bad. that, where it's just like it's several minutes of screen time devoted to something that is not explained to us at all, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and the soundtrack and the editing like make it seem like it's this revelation of some sort. But I don't know what any of it means. I don't yeah. know what information was gleaned from that investigation. I just know that, okay, he's on a motorcycle now, and he found an apartment building with some cops tied up, yeah. and now the mayor's getting shot at. Okay, sure. Yeah, cool scene. I don't know why it happened, but it was cool. Oh, I he guess. John he John Doed him. That's all it was. It was like we have to. The fingerprints are going to lead him to this exact spot at the exact at the exact right time. I'm like, that's seven. Like you just basically. Well, and then the the Joker card with the three victims dna on it mm -hmm. what huh how what what yeah, yeah you have a you have a judge and and harvey dent and and commissioner Loeb because we don't have a commissioner gordon yet um we we have the three victims dna on a joker card how did they get that like why would you share that what <laughs> i did actually now that i think about it I, the violence in here is so it 
it's so subtle. It's almost like a Tarantino movie where it's like, we're having like, things are like really violent, but we're just kind of glossing over. It doesn't carry any weight. Um, like his ability to just shoot people, like he just shoots the one, I think it's a cop that comes into the hospital. He's like dressed up in the gown and everything. He shoots the cop or when uh, Batman's coming down the street and there's a car coming, he just, just completely kills that person. Just doesn't even think about it. Um, I think he kills one of his goons too, maybe at one point. Yeah, see, I think that's a quirk of Christopher Nolan. I, I think that's a personal thing. Um, I have a theory, actually, that uh, he likes action, but he despises violence. Um, I think because there's a lot of action. There's a lot of people getting hit. There's a lot of people getting shot in almost all of his movies, but there's very seldom squibs. Um, mm-hmm. If there are, they're usually loaded with dust rather than blood, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, um, his editing style, especially in and the Batman movies, I know for certain. I can't speak for all of his films, but he he likes to cut away away from uh, money shots. Um, a lot of conversations, just like um, imagine imagine in your head Alfred telling you a story, and then we burnt down to forest. Cut. We cut away. Yeah. That scene's done. He likes to do that, and that includes violence, or like something like uh, Gamble getting killed. Mm-hmm. We didn't see that on screen. We saw him fall down, and we heard the music go. Dun-dun! Yeah. But we didn't see the actual knife go into him. We didn't see any blood or anything. And a lot of his violence is done in that way. Sometimes to comical effect. Um, Bane's right-hand man in The Dark Knight Rises gets shot by Matthew Modine. And he is so far to the left of the frame, you wouldn't even know it. I didn't it's, even notice that. Exactly. <laughs> and there's no squib. You just see him go, whoops, I took a bad step. <laughs> well, I think it, but, well, I think it works here with the jo- with when it's actually the Joker doing it. Because it kind of adds that element of, like, he literally does not give a shit. Like, he is just... He's focused on one thing. Just, I don't care about this innocent bystander. I'm just gonna blow. I'm just gonna blow a bunch of holes in him. Well, and there's also that that theory that your your brain creates more horrific images in your head than yes. than you could possibly display on screen. Horror directors, keep that in mind. <laughs> I mean, I I don't often watch movies to be scared, and I like spe- I like gore effects and special effects. So I I like a good gore fest. But if you're actually trying to scare people, that's probably not the way to do it. Yeah, give me good atmospheric horror. I'm screening films for October, and damn, am I not having luck. <laughs> well, the the best way to do it, actually, is to mix it up. Catch people off guard, where it's like, mm. oh, you know, two-thirds of the movie, like, oh, you know, they showed all the violence off screen, and then have that third act where it's like, whoa! <laughs> third, like, you, should be, you should be leery. That's usually when I'm like, okay, the first two-thirds of this film hasn't been that bad, but then you start to feel it. You're like, oh, no, the third part of this film is going to suck. Well, the reverse of it done ex- exceedingly well would be The Witch, where mm-hmm. we get explicit violence immediately. and then Yes, it sets the and tone. And then the whole time you're like, is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. 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 That's up to you. <laughs> um I'm trying to think what else I had to say about the the Dark Knight. Um hmm. Well, I mean, should we say a little something about Miss Gyllenhaal? We can, yeah. I mean just a uh, little something. Yeah, I uh I I think she's underutilized. I think that I I'm thinking of her in like what scenes I remember of Donnie Darko and like how her and her brother actually play off of each other. She fucking sucks and she can very much get under your skin. I feel like she could have had she could have done something different in the films. Like I think she can play I guess uh what's the word I'm trying to think of here? Just like like the male equivalent of a dick. Like just 
just being an asshole, basically. Just a female asshole. I think she could play that really well. And she's just kind of a nice... She's just a nice lady in this movie. Yeah, I mean, the character's written very similar uh, to how the character was in the first film. Uh, just with, you know, different actress. Uh, I think she does the best she can, much like Aaron Eckhart, actually. She does the best she can with the material she's handed. She has a couple of very good acting scenes, but she's not the highlight of them. So she's just kind of leaving leaving the stage for the other person like her and Heath Ledger face to face is a very good sequence um, unfortunately she's just there to react mm-hmm. um, so credit to her for letting him have his moment and she does some acting shit in there like I like when she tries to look away and like mm-hmm. he's kind of like struggling with her but he's not stopping at the same time <laughs> like he's kind of oblivious to the fact that she wants to go away <laughs> I, was gonna say, I think that the second one's actually pretty funny like I had some legit moments where the when the Joker breaks in and then uh, he's going in to go get into Batman suit and the two people were just done having sex on his bed and he just kind of looks back at him like, oh, thank God you have a panic room. <laughs> he just shuts the door on him. Little, little moments like that. Yeah, all, all three of the movies do have moments of humor. I mean, like Christopher Nolan gets criticized sometimes for having like humorless, dry movies. But mm. no, his Batman movies, they do have some fun. Like they do wink at you. They do smile every once in a while. And this one's no exception. Um, but yeah, I, I thought she was just fine. Um, the characters portrayed as, as fairly strong. Um, <laughs> I, I do think it's funny how she's with Harvey Dent the entire movie, and yet Bruce Wayne keeps showing up and trying to like say like, "Hey, give me a minute. I'll, I I need to figure my shit out, and then we can be together." And she's like, "About that, <laughs> uh, I don't think I'm gonna do that." Yeah, and no. she ends up writing that letter to him, which you mentioned that. Uh, basically says no i'm picking harvey you have too much shit in your basement you need to sort that shit out that's your problem not mine um which he doesn't ever get to read he gets told about it later but um yeah kind of a waste uh her her death was well executed all credit all all credit to them for actually pulling the trigger on that because you know in 2008 in particular that's a that's a bold move it was i remember watching it last night or not the, the night before and i'm like how could you not see this coming? Of course he gave you the wrong address. And then the, I remember watching it the first time and you see him open the door. You're like, oh, fuck. Like, they're not, he's not going to get to her. Pretty yeah, good. no, it's it's a very good moment of editing where the door opens. It's a shot from Batman's perspective. And you just see Harvey Dent laying on his no. side. <laughs> no! no. <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> you know, it's his fault. It's his fault that he got his face burnt because he's like, Batman's trying to pull him out of there and he's like still trying to talk to Rachel on the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, your fault. <laughs> she's dead. Forget her. She's gone. She's gone. <laughs> no, actually, like if you wanted to make real comedy, you have both of them laying on their back in the street with the with the building blowing up behind them. Both of them are going, Rachel, 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 Rachel. Jeez. Ah. But yeah, but, I, d- I don't know. I don't know what else I had to say about the Dark Knight. I'm kind of surprised because there's, there's infinite things to say about the movie. I mean, we touched on the tertiary characters like like Eric Roberts is there. He he does a good slimy Italian mob boss who actually yeah. is one of the chief antagonists of the film because the the whole idea is that uh, Lieutenant slash Commissioner Gordon in this movie he gets promoted after Commissioner Loeb, um, who's named after Jeff Loeb, like. Um, dies 
I like his death, by the way. It's kind of cool. <laughs> we do need to Chris Farley show the uh, my. I think I do love the interrogation scene, but that the gunfight and the and the trailer is the scene is really good. The dialogue from Nikki Cat is very bad. <laughs> and by so, the way, I'm, yeah, go ahead. So what Kyle's talking about is um, maybe one of the best sequences in the movie. It's mm-hmm. uh, there's no music. It's just a uh, prisoner transport. Uh, Harvey Dent has declared himself the batman (laughs) i am the batman take Mm -hmm. the batman into custody Uh, he's pretending to be batman um commissioner gordon who is not yet commissioner is supposed to be dead at this point he's hiding in plain sight um basically they're transporting harvey dent via uh like swat van and uh yeah we have this vehicle chase because we can't have a batman movie without one of those and it's tremendous It, it is a exceedingly well choreographed and shot vehicle sequence uh, involving two different bat vehicles we get the the tumbler and the ultimate fate of the tumbler mm-hmm. uh, we get introduced to the bat pod which was something that we all needed but didn't know it uh, yeah because it's pretty fucking cool yeah it's really cool <laughs> um and yeah nikki cat is a, apparently yes. a character actor of some so sort nikki cat is a character actor that i've for some reason just have known since i was a kid he played a teacher <laughs> on boston public He's the one of the motorcycle. He's the bad motorcycle guy in Batman and Robin. He's the dude that beats up Adam Goldberg in Dazed and Confused. He's the guy that's like, so what? I'm a fucking pothead. What does it matter? Uh, he plays a, a bully on Friends. He is the he's the neo Nazi from Sin City. He's the bald guy with the sunglasses in Sin City. I don't that, think I know any of the roles you're talking about. No, that's what's nuts. And then he's the cop, and he's like, I hope you got some moves. Like, I hope you got some moves on the road. Uh, he's in a ton of stuff. Uh, it, I think it was Boston Public. Just it was a show we watched when I was a kid. Uh, was that with Ky- Chai McBride? Yep. Yes, and, I, I've, uh, I've seen a few episodes. Anthony Heald. Yes, uh, I've seen a few episodes. I, I liked it because the the rhythm, like the pattern for every episode, was Chai McBride wanders the halls looking pissed off as fuck yes. Yes. and he just like barges into various offices and tells people how much of a fuck up they are <laughs> especially that lady the lady with all the problems <laughs> they like all the, have problems uh, she's like the the whiny teacher lady that just like eh, eh, eh. she's always like flipping out she's got like mental problems and he's just like why don't i fire you, <laughs> like, you? um but yeah he's... i don't i don't know nikki cat but he's terrible in this movie <laughs> he's in school of rock secondhand lions uh i i know i've seen him i just don't Insomnia. his face it, doesn't register with me it's just somebody i know so yeah, was, I, was I just, he in punisher Warzone? Like, no. <laughs> okay you would think, you would think. You for would some reason think. i was thinking about the the heavy set guy uh that gets his face blown off you know no, that's yeah i think it was wayne knight no, no, that that's that's microchip. I know who that is. Oh, there's a different heavy set guy. Okay. Yeah, there's multiple. There's actually three heavy set people in that movie that get their head blown off. <laughs> I do want to give Christopher Nolan credit, um, and I I think you'll probably agree with me on this. Great explosions, and they actually it's not Michael Bay where it's like, why the fuck did that need to explode? It's like, no, no, no. They actually make sense in the film, and they actually carry weight. Like the I think the my favorite my favorite one is when they blow up the judge where she just gets the note and it says up and then that fucking thing <laughs> explodes I don't know what he used to explode that thing but it was awesome yeah there's, it's a that's a good montage in general yes it's, it's it's like multiple assassinations it's it's almost like a Scorsese movie without the licensed music mm-hmm. um, but Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard's music is quite good for that sequence it has a choir going and um, it punctuates the moment the elevator door opens and the Joker shows up in uh, Wayne's loft. 
um, for another very good scene. But yeah, uh, Christopher Nolan, he loves him some practical explosions. And like you said, there there's like a level of restraint that he shows with them where it's like, it's not a gigantic fireball. It's like, no, that looks like a concussive explosive. Like that looks like what an explosion should look like, I guess. And it, it's kind of funny because our, our, you know, 90s action movie brains are wired to accept like a certain visual when mm-hmm. something blows up and then it's just like a, <laughs> and it's like, well, that wasn't very much, but then you're like, well, that was appropriate though. So I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot about the big stunt. There's a big stunt in Hong Kong. Uh, I figured you would bring that up. Oh, the sky hook. Yeah. Yeah. The sky. That's another, see, that's another one of those scenes. That's like, why is this here? Why are you here? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. Mr. Lau, Mr. Lau, (laughs) um, his little, uh, Hong Kong adventure where he takes all of the mobsters money and, uh, absconds with it off to Hong Kong. Um, this was in 2008. So the, the, Chinese box office was important, but it wasn't what it would be. It's not. It hasn't grown to fruition yet. <laughs> it, it was important, so I wouldn't be surprised if that played a part in it. But Christopher Nolan goes on record saying that the whole reason for it is that we're trying to show that Batman is global. But it's like, no, he's not. No, he's not. Like, he's totally fixated on Gotham. <laughs> but I want to say part of it had to do with, you know, you know, breaking into the Chinese box office. Um, obviously it worked because Dark Knight made all the money in the world, but um, that whole scene, while very cool, it's a cul-de-sac. Like mm-hmm. It's 10, 15 minutes of screen time devoted to just like, bah. I think it's cool because you're kind of like, what? what is the point? Like, how's he going to get in there and how's he going to get out? It's just, it was a cool idea and it didn't need to be in the movie, but I'm fine with it being there. It's fine. It's a cool action sequence where we get to see batman we get that's the debut of the new bat suit which we haven't talked about but we get to see him use some new tools we get to see him beat some ass and needs to be said the uh the uh, choreography and cinematography style of the dark knight and the dark knight rises um changed quite a Mm -hmm. bit from batman begins largely due to people like me bitching about the shaky cam and the snappy editing of the first film uh so a lot of the batmaning that goes on a lot of the uh punches to the face or in clear view of the camera. And this was also when uh, Christopher Nolan was getting real deep with uh, IMAX, mm. um, which as far as I know, you can't do really, really complex camera choreography with it. So shooting with the camera pulled see. back. <laughs> you well, can't see what's happening. Yeah. You know, basically, like you can't you can't move it like the way you would, like a handheld something out there. <laughs> Um, your brain like your eyes can't take in that much like that's fast movement you have to move your whole head (laughs) no i mean i don't think you can do like some crank shit with a with an imax camera but um yeah we get to see him beat some ass in hong kong and then he you know gets the lift from the cia plane and and also they have some christopher nolan details in there with the script where uh his alibi for uh Mm -hmm. his time his time out of the picture is he uh goes like on a cruise with the entire like bolshoi um ballerina squad the russian ballet yeah Yeah, it's pretty funny especially because we get to see another another funny bit in the movie where we get to see harvey dent and rachel dawes walk up to the theater and then see a newspaper clipping saying well 
fuck there goes the ballet <laughs> she laughs she's got like a smile like this motherfucker like we were yeah. gonna go <laughs> um i'm really just thinking about how much i love that the the joker car chase now like it it is really really good you want to know something really cool about that mm. car chase that you probably already know um mm. special effects stuff stuff um so you know when the tumbler first shows up when batman mm-hmm. first arrives on the scene it's this awesome moment where the joker's chasing them with like a garbage truck and a semi truck um, he's throwing all sorts of weaponry at the at the van, and he's trying to break through. Um, when the tumbler first shows up, one of the first things it does is it collides with a garbage truck, and we get this awesome fucking shot where the tumbler is low to the ground, so it goes under. It does a head-on collision with the garbage truck, and it goes under it and pushes the driver's seat into the fucking ceiling of the like the, un- the overpass or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was all miniatures. Oh really? Yeah. Ooh. I know. Cool. It's fucking cool. <laughs> it's, you would you would not think that. Like honestly, when I saw that in the theater, I thought it was just CGI. But no, like some f- behind the scenes footage leaked, and it's like no, it was just large scale miniatures shot really cleverly, and it looks tremendous. Well, I just love how it sets up. They're just like getting ready to go, and then somebody stops that semi. Like you can't come here. And then the Joker just pops up over the side and shoots the dude. I'm like, okay, this is fucking awesome. I'm so excited. Well, yeah, and the score really works there too because when the joker is looming he has that that long contrabass or 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 a cello like yeah and there's other than that there's no music in the whole scene until the bat pod shows up then we get the batman music which is that's how you that's how you use a batman theme is when some cool batman shit happens um but yeah like it has like a really eerie atmosphere because the first sign of danger is uh, that our heroes are aware of is like a burning fire truck. Yeah, that, how did they di- not get tipped off? Tipped off on that. That was one of the problems I had. I'm like, well, uh, they they're in a convoy and they divert uh, to the underground level of the street, and and yeah, that just that one note is playing, and everybody's kind of on edge. And then, sure enough, that that semi truck shows up, and the garbage truck starts like nudging them and stuff, and it turns into this glorious action scene that ends with one of the coolest like practical stunts and in film history is the flipping of the semi truck Mm -hmm. that that was the fucking trailer shot um it looks incredible it and they fucking did that they flipped a fucking truck in the center of like downtown chicago pretty fucking cool yeah and it needs to be said the crowd in the theater when i saw the movie um when the bat pod uh when uh, he goes up against the wall of the building and flips uh, flips mm-hmm. it around, the crowd, yeah. people were like cheering because that was that's just pretty, pretty fucking cool. <laughs> like, and that's what that's what Batman's gadget should make you feel. Is just like that was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, I love Heath Ledger's like it's it's pretty fucking hilarious when he gets out of the yes. truck and he trips. <laughs> but I I, I appreciated. Uh, him as a like him as the character of the Joker. I appreciate his his commitment to finishing the job. Like he's probably concussed and he just gets up and just like ugh, tries to shake it off. He's like, I got to get this done. I appreciate that man's got work ethic. No, oh, yeah, no, he didn't skip a beat, even though he, like you said, probably severe he's got, concussion. He's got a concussion. <laughs> <laughs> but so we've been gushing about this movie for the past several minutes, Kyle. What what about it vexes you so much? Uh, I think it's the it's the void of the Joker being on screen. Like when the Joker's not on screen, it's just fucking boring. Like I just couldn't give a shit about the drama of the film. Like the love triangle between her uh, with him and Harvey Dent and Rachel, um, 
and then once the Joker blows up the hospital, like the movie's done for me. Like I could not care less about what else is happening in the film. That's pretty much it. Okay, that that's fair, and I, I agree with you for the most part because um, it's certainly a better movie when he's involved. Um, it, you and, and I both really like building, and I think that's why you and I probably like Batman Begins. Is we like a good build, like we like a good build up, and there's just not much of a build up in this. Yeah, the planting and payoff uh, portion of the script is severely lacking in that mm-hmm. things happen, yeah. but they're seldom build up. And it part of that is they're trying to surprise you, but part of the problem is there are too many surprises. Because if you think of it from an editing standpoint, some of the sequencing of events, um, too many really important, really massive things happen back to back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Like, like really, if you, if you think about it, it's like, okay, Harvey Dent... Um, tells everyone he's batman we have the coolest car chase in quite a while um immediately after that joker is put into the interrogation room immediately after and two-face are gone immediately after that the police station is blown up and immediately after that rachel gets blown up and two-face gets born and this is all just like back to back to back back, no time in between um and yeah that's kind of the flow of the movie is a lot of things just happen and it's so much that it feels like a whole season of television condensed into a movie, yeah. which I, I always hate that feeling where it's like, like you said about Batman Begins, part of, part of the strength of a lot of the performances comes from the amount of breathing room they have, um, which this film doesn't really a lot to a lot of the actors. Um, and part of the reason the Joker works in those circumstances is because he's that kind of character. He doesn't have a backstory. <laughs> he, he's an element of chaos that just shows up to throw a monkey wrench into things. So he's afforded a luxury that some of the other characters are not. Uh, the sonar, I think, is the other thing that oh, I, I yeah. had a problem with. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking on that. Uh, it's stupid, and I didn't need it. It's stupid, and it's not well realized from a visual standpoint. On an aesthetic level, every time we get one of those POV shots, it's like, that's incomprehensible. That doesn't help me. It's like that doesn't that does yeah that's inconceivable <laughs> um that doesn't help that doesn't help me the viewer understand the situation any better in fact mm-hmm. it's it's more garbled it's it's more discombobulating but um it's actually kind of a weird thing like maybe christopher nolan was hung up on the fact that like the the comic and the animated batman has white lenses over his eyes maybe that was his way of like trying to incorporate that into the design um, but yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly, especially in the theater, because the sound mixing was a problem. Uh, Morgan Freeman has a lot of dialogue over the sonar scenes. And in the theater, the sound system, I couldn't understand him. Mm. And I was like, okay, I'm looking at garbled visuals, and I can't hear the garbled dialogue. There's a problem here. Yeah. Um, I think they could have written a- around that, like found another way to find where the Joker's hiding. But I will say this much, um, that whole sequence, aside from those shots... And the gimmick of the sonar, the Pruitt building rescue, I think is pretty fucking cool. Um, in my mind, it's like combination of the score and the choreography of the action. It's like this is peak Batman. Like this is Batman doing the stuff that we, you know, as like kids or comic book fans. This is like this is what you think of when you think of Batman. You think of Batman like rushing into a situation and being and like deciphering the, the problem that no one else can and like fighting both cops and clowns at the same time and then he has a one-on-one with the joker and he gets his ass kicked by dogs for the second time in the same fucking movie it's it's really cool on that level but 
I just wish the sonar stuff wasn't there. And um, I still don't know how I feel about the conclusion of he and the Joker's conflict. I really love uh, Heath Ledger's final bits of dialogue mm-hmm. um, in his entire career. Um, uh, that I, It's such a shame that he passed because um, that line of, I think we're destined to do this like forever... Like I'm not sure if that was the best way to word that, but the combination again of the score and him like that weird angle of him hanging upside down and the way he delivers that line, it's like you kind of believe him. Where it's 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 like a it's a threat <laughs> where it's like, ooh, maybe you should drop him. <laughs> like fuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Overall, I mean, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the uh... bat suit? Bat oh, yeah, suit. Bat suit. Got to talk about the bat suit because the bat suit was even more than the Joker. Actually, what was getting me hyped for the movie? Really, the first I... the first stills that surfaced of him wearing the bat suit. I remember it clear as day. It's him standing. He's like illuminated by like a police siren or something, and uh, it's just him standing top like head to toe. And I I think it is one of the coolest superhero outfits ever committed to film. Honestly, I don't even know what it looks like. God damn it, Kyle! <laughs> God well, damn it! We, we, we notice different things in movies. I guess so. Fuck. Um, it's tremendous. Uh, it's such a it's such a wonderful innovation. I mean, some people uh, criticize it for being overly militaristic. It does look like where, uh, at least the stuff we know about anyway, where like military armor technology was trending. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. But I it's. See it. It differs from the Batman Begins outfit in that it's assembled from like f- plates, mm-hmm. so it's it's panels. It's not a single like block of it's material. Like armor. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's paneled in such a way as to move with human physiology. So even though in real life it wasn't any more you know flexible than any other bat suit, it creates the illusion in your mind of like, oh, he looks like he can move in that. Yeah, I'm looking at the Batman Begins versus uh, the Dark Knight, and it's it's a very visible difference. And yeah, you can tell that yeah, he, you can tell one can move, the other cannot. <laughs> yeah, but in in actuality, that wasn't true. Apparently, yeah. they were both equally uncomfortable. But your your eyes tell you one thing. Other, I, but yeah, seeing the bat suit got me super hyped for the movie because I was like, that looks, looks cool. awesome. <laughs> that looks incredible. Um. And yeah, the, it's kind of interesting that they incorporate it into the script too, where they have that throwaway line of dialogue from Morgan Freeman. Um, you want you want to be able to turn your head <laughs> because you know it's like it's like winking at the audience, being like, "Yeah, we know." Like Batman never really looked like he could move all that well, so I guess this time we're going to try to get it right. And I think the bat suit is tremendous in, in the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. That's fair. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. And there's not much to say about the bat pod other than it's fucking awesome. It's a, it's not a motorcycle. It's something else entirely. But yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I don't have a whole lot of detailed things to say about other than it's pretty fucking cool. Um, and the score, like I said, about uh, Batman Begins, very, very, very good. Um, James Newton Howard, for whatever reason, dipped out of the third movie. Um, I think he felt like he was like third wheeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like I said, most of the, most of his contribution had to do with like emotional bits of the score, but uh, yeah, the Joker theme is is so simple in a lot of ways, but it fucking works. It um, does work. You know instantly when the Joker is supposed to be present in the film, even when he's not on screen, because it's such a readily identifiable tune. 
as soon as you hear that note it's just a single note from like a single instrument you're just like oh something bad's about to happen <laughs> and that's how you know you've done good uh, when it comes to composing a piece of music but what's really cool about the score for this one is that most of the major movements and melodies and themes and stuff like i said were engineered for batman begins it's we're recycling shit but uh Hans Zimmer is one hell of a mixer. He loves him some synthesizer. <laughs> um, he's a DJ. Uh, he does a lot of stuff where he uh, kind of like perverts or like radicalizes some of his his previous compositions by injecting Jokerisms into them. So you'll have like your Batman theme, and then there'll be just that little taste of Joker in there, and it's like, ooh, that's different. I like that. Um, and we also get like a slightly modified Batman theme which I don't know if it has any significance. Maybe you can figure it out more so than me if I tell you, but um, the melody from Batman Begins that they used um, as like the key component of the new Batman theme for The Dark Knight um, is, I think, originally played in Batman Begins when he's training with Ra's al Ghul on the ice. Hmm. Um, and then they, they use that as like the strongest melody for Batman's theme music in The Dark Knight. So I, I don't know if that has any meaning, um, but I thought it was interesting. I guess that's when he's becoming Batman. So I guess that's when it that's when it starts, and that's when he that's what sparks it basically is him training. So. I don't know. From a thematic standpoint, know. it sounds a little confused, but it's yeah. good music, so I don't care that much. It mostly mm-hmm. plays during the uh, the Pruitt Building uh, action beat um, and Two Faces theme. Two Faces fucking theme. He has a track on the soundtrack. I was didn't in, notice it. Was in Batman Begins. Like the track on the Dark Knight soundtrack is titled Two Face, and the music is in Batman Begins. It's from when he's like suiting up. Hmm. So it's recycled. It, it works because it has like a hint of like it's like it's strong. Like it's a hero's theme, but it descends into like tragedy. Like it has a, a hint of sadness to it. It gets very intense towards the end, but it good piece of music. And of course, Rachel's theme comes back uh, just like it was in Batman Begins. But yeah, overall, very very good score. Um, I don't know if it's better than Batman Begins. Um, I think it's more abrasive because of the Joker stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so not as pleasurable a listen, but as utilized in the film, very very effective. But maybe to its detriment in that, um, like I said, too many things just happen in the movie so a lot of it comes across as almost like montage in some ways it's not but it it has the pace of a montage we're recovering a whole lot of ground very very quickly and it's all set to music yeah which maybe that is a description of a montage. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i don't think i have anything else to say about this one i mean uh debo's here <laughs> yeah, <laughs> may I, as well mention the Debo's in the movie. <laughs> again, after he blows up the hospital, the movie's done for me. Like I just can't engage anymore. Yeah, no, I I get what you mean. Um, I think it's really unfortunate that we had to wrap up with a uh, Two Face and uh, Commissioner Gordon yeah. because, like I said, the Pruitt Building sequence with the Joker, like the ultimate fate of the Joker, that was excellent that felt like the end of the movie and then it's like oh we have two phase yeah, <laughs> and then we have the i mean a big thing that we've been tiptoeing around um big problem in the dialogue is it's all larger than life like comic booky kind of stuff 
like people sound like they're speechifying but we're at like dinner like yeah. we're not we're not at a podium we're at a dinner with friends oh Why i hate t- that dinner i hate that dinner scene too that what, what's uh what's harvey dent's line it's like either or either um you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain I'm like now let's let's pull that apart i'm not really but like if you really think about that it's like what <laughs> like, like like michael keaton what <laughs> what honestly it, there's a lot stupid. of there's unfortunately a lot of that in the movie there's a lot of trailer lines that it sounds heady and philosophical but it's like it's not how people talk man yeah like and and again the the visual aesthetic of the film like giving giving gotham like this lived in like oh it's just chicago like that kind of feel you would expect the people to speak in a more naturalistic way like mm-hmm. like the one you pointed out that uh have a nice trip see you next fall jesus what so st- i i rewound i'm like wait a minute did he just did, fucking did say he that? just did <laughs> he, he just did he that. just what the <laughs> what kind of cops we for this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, air was it in Dark Knight Rises? It's like nothing like air cab or something like oh, air that, superiority. That fucking uh, that fat cop when they're chasing after they've made the the New York Stock Exchange uh, robbery, he's like, "Oh, you're in for a treat tonight." I'm like, yeah. all all the incidental up. dialogue in all three movies is terrible, but beyond that, it's like, you know, this also translates to the principal players, um, especially in the Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises, much like Batman Begins, I give it some leeway because it's a bigger, dumber story. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, it's that kind of movie. Whereas the Dark Knight is trying so hard to tell you it's like the most serious, most important fucking thing in the world. And when people say shit like that, it really takes you out of it. Like, I didn't sign up for this shit. Lock yeah. and load. <laughs> it's like, what? Have a nice trip. See you next fall. On that note, I think that's I think that's yeah. all that can be said. Have yeah. a nice trip. See you next fall. It, yeah. it just it grates on you just a little bit it's like mm. uh, no, it's worse it's worse than the third one well um, the, the the thing that i got out of this conversation is that i don't know about you but i really do like this movie and i really mm-hmm. do appreciate it but i think i've just taken such a good long look at it that i i can nitpick it to fucking yes. hell yes um but i'm not trashing the movie i'm just saying that it it's not without problems, so it's in your best interest to be honest with yourself. Again, Joker performance. We are not saying anything bad. Actually, I think it, that performance actually gets better with time. I'm like, it actually is a, it's a really fun movie to watch, be, but it's because of him is what makes the movie rewatchable. Yeah, and credit to Christian Bale, actually. I feel that he holds his own just fine. Mm-hmm. Some people bash on his Batman voice. I do, too. I think it's funny, but I don't it think funny. it ruins the movie. No. Um, and I think his scenes with Heath Ledger, he he holds his he holds his own just fine. Yeah. Um, and I think part of part of why it works actually is that the Batman voice actually I think works because what we were talking about with the Joker, how he he gets under your skin, he he pushes your buttons. Um, the the last like they're parting words with each other, like what Batman's saying to him. He's like, "You're gonna be in a better cell forever." <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's like it's. It works because there's another layer there that, you know, if you look at it at face value, it's like, yeah, that's kind of dopey. But, like, if you really think about it, if you peel back some of the layers, it's like, this is a wounded man who's grasping at straws. Like, this is him saying what what he feels he has to say, but I don't know that he, I don't really know that he believes it in this moment. Because when he leaves the Joker, he's pretty defeated, honestly. 
So it's like he's putting on a show. He's he's trying to remain stoic in the face of a clown that just has nothing but laughs for him. And he's like, mm-hmm. motherfucker. <laughs> it's like, it's like, I really like punching you. I hope you come out. I hope you get out of Arkham so I can beat the shit out of you every day. <laughs> uh, well, that being said, I think we're about done with the Dark Knight. Um, looks like you, you think we have enough material for the Dark Knight Rises to be a solo episode? I think we'll we'll probably be able to touch on it a little bit. I don't know if we'll be able to get a whole episode out of it because I think we're just going to end up picking it apart. I mean, it is what it is. But, yeah. Um, that being said, um, I think that about wraps up two-thirds of the Christopher Nolan era of the Bat Saga. Yes. Um, so uh, if you would like to check out some of our other podcasts uh, in the meantime, uh, you can find those on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have an Instagram account at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. Uh, so feel free to hit me up at either of those. Um, please like, listen, and subscribe. That would be really cool if you could do any one of those things. Um, but yeah, that being said, thank you so much for listening, and uh, I guess we'll catch you next week for more Nolan. Yeah.